Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of November 17th, 2022, including Xbox's streaming device is not dead yet. Microsoft argues that Xbox will become untenable without mobile gaming. Xbox Live turns 20 years old this week and more. And on this day in Xbox history, in the year 2009, Left 4 Dead 2 came out on the Xbox 360. Oh my god. Left 4 Dead 2 is still one of the all-time greats, although I am a little partial to Left 4 Dead 1, as controversial of a take that is. I know it's kind of a stupid take because Left 4 Dead 2 eventually just ended up becoming a platform for all Left 4 Dead content, so might as well just play the definitive way to play the game. But anyway, Left 4 Dead 2, still, you know, those two games, Left 4 Dead 1 and 2, is the best zombie shooter co-op survival whatever you want to call that specific version of that genre that left for dead kind of popularized or carved out still the best incarnation it's insane to think that it's been 13 years and nothing has been as good as left for dead one and two back for blood you know not a terrible game i i think there's a lot of good in it but it is a massive disappointment compared to the game it's a spiritual successor to and the many, many games that have been inspired by Left 4 Dead have just consistently failed to be nearly as good. Although there have been a lot of good games that have come as a result of the of the legacy left behind from Left 4 Dead. And I, I am grateful for the genre. It's kind of spun off the subgenre. It's spun off whatever you want to call that. I guess it's a it's a version of like of like a survival co-op shooter, but it's you know, it's so it's so specific, Left 4 Dead. Although I did realize many years after you know the fact i i loved left for dead back in its heyday but it took until a couple years ago to realize like i i guess i always liked left for dead the wrong way versus is the mode that everyone like really raved about and uh of the three modes of left for dead that was the mode i definitely played the least uh, i was definitely more of a campaign guy than survival then versus and it, it seems like the thing everyone loved about left for dead was the versus mode but I actually never really liked playing as as the zombies. I, I liked to just play as the as the humans. So I don't know what I'm even going on about. I, I really love Left 4 Dead. I like to talk about it. I like to think about it. I like to reminisce. Warhammer 40k Dark Tide comes out in a couple of weeks as of the time we're recording this. So here's hoping finally we'll have a game that, you know, in that genre that's like do, does the name some justice, you know, I guess. It's, I mean, I, not the Warhammer name, but the Left 4 Dead name because clearly Dark Tide is a... Um, is, is a game inspired deeply by Left 4 Dead, and damn, does it look good, so I'm, I'm hoping for the best. Anyway, we should probably stop talking about Left 4 Dead, because while that is a, a very relevant Xbox title to the brand, it's not really relevant in 2022, because, well, because Valve hates us, and they just rather sell you a Steam Deck than a, a new game. But guys, welcome to Xbox On, episode 181 of the podcast. A couple things I want to start out at the top of the show with. First of all, you know, we're in the busy season, so I've been trying to do this thing the past couple weeks where we talk about or, or make mention of 
the hottest titles that have released since we last uh, since we last met. And uh, this week we got two big ones, including hey, an Xbox first party game, which is incredibly rare this year in particular. So uh, Pentiment is now out on all Xbox platforms, one Series S and S as well as PC. Um, it is a day one launch game in game, or it's a day one Game Pass title, of course, because it is a Xbox Studios game, as all Xbox games are, are day one Game Pass titles. It seems like the reviews for this game are pretty damn good for the most part. Uh, people loving it. I think IGN gave it a 10 out of 10, which is kind of insane, but generally the, the reviews are pretty damn good. I Again, as as I've said basically from the start, this is not... I, I would feel like a liar if I were sitting here trying to be like, blowing smoke up your ass guys i'm so pumped for pentiment it's it's not really my thing uh, i really do love obsidian and i respect the hell out of what they're trying to do with smaller games from some smaller teams and who knows where those things can grow you know grounded was one of those games and it's grown to be quite a big project and uh pentiment looks like it's going to be something of a quote-unquote indie darling although you're not really an indie team if you are owned by microsoft the biggest you know, <laughs> the like one of the biggest tech companies in the entire world. But nonetheless, Pentiment looks like it's it's poised to be a uh, maybe a maybe a cult hit. I don't know. It, it's it's definitely not going to be the game of the year discussion. It's not going to be up there with God of War and and uh, Elden Ring. But it's definitely going to be one of those games where a lot of critics are going to just gush about what a what a special game this was. And I am excited to give it a try just to give it its you know, it's, it's, it's fair, it's fair chance. And as well, just to see what the fuss is about. I do feel a weird compulsion to just play, you know, try out every, you know, no pun intended because compulsion an Xbox developer, but uh, yeah, no, no. Um, I, I do just feel a weird kind of compulsion and, and uh, obligation to try out every first party Xbox game as they come out. You know, this is an Xbox podcast. I, I want to be familiar with the brand and everything and, what, and what's going on. So I'm a little bit of a hypocrite because I still have never tried Flight Flight Simulator, although I do want to try that. I'm just daunted by the download size really more than anything. But yeah, Pentiment, I'm definitely going to give this one a go. I'll probably, knowing me, I'll probably play it for like less than an hour this weekend, but I will give it a try. Who knows? Could be surprised. Nobody Saves the World is, is probably still my game of the year. And I, I didn't think I'd get through that game for more than 30 minutes and I ended up loving every second of the 30 hours I spent with it. The other game that came out this week, and this is one I definitely I definitely will be playing, is uh, Somerville, uh, which is a new game from a new studio called Jump Ship. These are the guys, these are ex-developers from Play Dead, which are the guys that make Limbo and Limbo and Inside. God damn, sorry. My brain blanked out for a second there. Uh, Limbo and Inside. I actually never finished Limbo. I've only played a little bit back when it first came out. Um, but Inside, I actually adored that game. That was one of my favorite Xbox One games. Um, so this game clearly has a lot of that DNA in it. You can just tell by the trailers. And so I'm very much excited to get into this game and, and give it a try. I don't know if I'll play it this weekend um, because I definitely want to enjoy my time with Sonic. But I will absolutely be jumping into this game. Looks very, very good. Also a day one Game Pass title. And uh, this game will come up in the news a little bit later because we do have... Uh, a story revolving this developer, so uh, revolving around this developer. So, stay tuned for that. But uh, yeah, those are the new games out this week. Some uh, you know smaller team type games. I, I, I you know I hesitate to call mostly anything indie these days because most of these games are like two D teams of like eight to twenty people made and stuff like that. They're they're not really indie games. Most of them are like owned by some publisher at this point. But uh, definitely you know smaller, more bite sized type games that uh, look really really good. Coming to Xbox, tons of good stuff. And next week, we've got a game I'm very much looking forward to, but we will save that for next week because 
secrets and suspension and reasons for you to come back and click because this is a clickbait podcast after all. Always has been, you stupid idiot. Now, I do want to make one announcement before we get into the news, you guys. Halo Infinite, the Forge is out with the winter update that happened last week. You know, I should have done this last week. I don't know why the hell it took me so long to put two brain cells together and figure out that this is a good idea we should pursue. But for the stream this week, you're saying, what the hell? What do you mean stream? This is a podcast. Well, I have a stream on Twitch. It's twitch.tv slash lightningmickstream. And uh, we usually stream every Monday. But um, I thought, you know what? It'd be a fun idea if we could maybe make an announcement on the podcast and get get a couple people together and try to play some of this you know, Halo Forge, Halo Infinite Forge mode. Let's try to get a community night together, do some some custom games, download some Forge maps, and dick around and have some fun. So I'm here to make the announcement, you guys, this Sunday, November uh, 20th, around 4 p.m. Eastern time, we'll be doing a Xbox On community stream for Halo Infinite. So we'll be playing Forge mode, playing some custom games. Everyone is welcome to join. It'll be taking place over on twitch.tv slash lightningextreme. Uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun if we can get maybe a, a dozen of people or so. Uh, that should be a good time. We'll get a big lobby going. We'll all run around and, and play Duck Hunt or or um, any of those kinds of, uh, what do you call them? What do you call those maps where it's just basically basically just parkour or the Jenga maps? Whatever. We'll, we'll find some stuff, some really creative shit being made in Forge. I'm actually going to take some time this week to find some pretty good looking maps from YouTube and the internet and uh, add them to my queue so we can have a couple things already lined up. But yeah, if you're interested in that, 4 p.m. Eastern time this Sunday, the 20th uh, on twitch.tv slash lightning extreme. Come join us. We're going to be playing some Halo Infinite Forge. I know at least I will be there, so it is guaranteed to be at least one person. Please be at least my number two, baby. All right, that announcement out of the way. Guys, let's start off this week with the corrections, updates, and stories of mild amusement. Uh, this week, we mostly just have stories of mild amusement, but we got a couple decent ones. In fact, it's kind of a, I feel like I've been saying this a lot, but I especially mean it this week, a bit of an odd one where we have very little in the actual news segment, but a lot in the stories of mild amusement um, sto- uh, section. So, you know, whatever, who really gives a shit where the news is placed? We're going to talk about video games and it's all going to be a good time and just uh, just stop worrying, okay? Stop worrying about the format of my podcast. Let me worry about that. You just sit back and listen, okay? Sedate yourself. Uh, sit, sit down in your chair. Crack open an ice-cold Mountain Dew, and let's make this happen. Guys, did you know this month, this year, this, this past week, on November 15th, which is already passed by the time this podcast is going live, but uh, November 15th, 2022, marks the 20th anniversary of Xbox Live. I don't know. I just want to kind of throw that out there. It's kind of, kind of crazy, I guess, right? I'm I'm trying to think back to like the early days of Xbox Live. Now, I don't want to sit here just because I have an Xbox podcast and pretend like I was there at the forefront of the you know the original Xbox days because I absolutely wasn't. We didn't have an OG Xbox until like I think '04, and um, yeah, I mean, I definitely had a lot of exposure to OG Xbox. My brother-in-law had one, and. You know, whenever I go over to my sister's house and, and, and hang out with them, I would get to play my brother-in-law's Xbox and, and see all the games. And sometimes he'd come over and visit, and he'd always bring the Xbox so me and my brothers could play Halo with him. And that was kind of my early exposure to Xbox. But with, when it comes to Xbox Live, I didn't have too much experience with it, really, until right before the Xbox 360 came out because uh, that was when my brother, you know, mowed lawns, mowed 
lawns for a full summer so you could save money, buy an Xbox, and then he subscribed to Xbox Live. So, you know, that we got a little bit of Halo 2 multiplayer in before before the Xbox 360 came out, and then, of course, everything changed, and that's kind of where this stuff really blew up. So I don't have, you know, if I'm just being really honest, as, as someone who, you know, in 2002, fuck, dude, in 2002, I was... I was seven years old when Xbox came out. That's kind of gross, man. Probably just made a couple of you guys feel really uncomfortably old. It's it's just kind of crazy because you know, I I, I guess we'll we'll just opine a little bit and remember the old days because that's half of what we do on the show anyway. But uh, back in the day, my dad used to work for a little company called Blockbuster, which some of you guys might remember. And so I spent a lot of my childhood, you know, wandering around random Blockbuster stores as my dad would sometimes take me and my brother with him. Uh, on trips like work work related like runs and things like that so i just have like very vivid memories for some fucking reason of just like being in a blockbuster while my dad was working and just like perusing the games aisle and being like oh look at this random box that's like a month of xbox live plus a stupid headset i'm like what 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 even is this like i don't i just remember that box standing out with the orange xbox live logo and everything i just remember it standing out to me and burning itself in my brain so much and the halo 2 map pack remember the, the original halo 2 map pack it was the first dlc for halo but you didn't download it you went and bought it at the store and and, and downloaded it onto your console from a disc and I just have like really vivid memories of like seeing this stuff on store shelves and being aware of this idea that people could go online and play games together, but also just being like, I'm I'm seven, I'm eight years old, I just want to play Nintendo Game Boy Advance. Fuck you, uh, my Pokemon is level twenty now, and uh, I, I don't know. It's just th- those are kind of my early memories of like the original Xbox Live era. Of course, that all did change in 2005 when the Xbox 360 came out, and I was you know my whole my whole world was changed with Call of Duty two and dead or alive and stuff like that so happy 20th to xbox live you know it's weird because xbox live at this point is kind of just it used to be like the foreground of what xbox was it was like yeah xbox is the console where you go onto the internet and you interact with people and now xbox live is it's so subdued because they've kind of put the brand back and now it's just this inherent underlying feature of the console you know now because that's just that's just the way we interface with any form of gaming is online so it doesn't need to be like a front and center sub brand of Xbox. It's just, you know, Xbox network now and <laughs> Xbox live is just, you know, it's just yet another thing. It's a, it's a core feature of the Xbox. And now the sub brand that really is associated with Xbox is, is game pass. And honestly, I don't know, you know, Xbox live is so critical to the history of gaming because, you know, people go on and on about, you know, Nintendo's the the best because their IP and the games and everything. And Sony's the best because their games and the IP and everything. But it's like, Xbox is such an important brand of gaming because of its contributions to the way we interface and access gaming and think about our, our interactions with gaming. And maybe that's not as fun and as sexy as like picking up a good game and playing it. But yeah, I mean, it, there is some truth in this, you know, this criticism of Xbox while also acknowledging and appreciating this 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 fact that Xbox has helped propel and, and, and steer gaming into the future the way it has. You know, you, you think about... Xbox's big contributions and of course games like Halo and Gears of War are there but with Xbox I feel like their story is half games and half innovations and and just understanding where technology is headed whereas you know you think about Nintendo you don't really think about Nintendo being like a technologically innovative company they're just like cheap toy manufacturers that make really fun platformers so it's it's kind of a different whole experience and obviously all the all the big players are really special in their own way for their contributions but i I really just do feel like xbox doesn't get enough credit and love for uh 
for basically taking this crazy idea of gaming online and making it a vi not not only like just an idea but like a viable, realistic and and doable platform because you know PlayStation 2 had a really uh, insanely stupid gimped way of getting online. It was primitive and uh, half baked and all this shit, but like it was there. You can tell people knew that that was kind of where we were going to head and you know Sega I think Sega deserves the most credit of anyone else for their attempts Sega Dreamcast could go online it literally ran windows um you know it Sega even Sega Genesis had some version of an online service uh there's like a TV connected to your I don't even remember I'd have to do research cuz I'm I'm not fully versed on what that whole like Sega channel thing was back in the day, but Xbox is the one that took the idea and, and legitimized it and made it, made it an actual thing. And I, I just feel like, you know, that's something we kind of look over and don't really consider a whole lot these days is the entire way we interface with consoles with dashboards and OSs and onboard storage and connected internet online functionality and all this stuff. These were all really pioneered and, and, and made made to bear in a, in a way that's, you know, actually viable through Xbox. And it's just, it's really kind of crazy to think we're 20 years removed for that from that. But, you know, in a lot of ways, especially for gamers like me, who, you know, I grew up playing a lot of older platforms like NES and SNES and Genesis, but only, only in kind of a retrospective way because it was like when I was growing up, the modern consoles were really like PlayStation one, Nintendo GameCube or Nintendo 64. Like those were the most current consoles. So for me that those older platforms were kind of more of a retrospective thing. Whereas, you know, I, when I really started growing into gaming, it was Xbox, GameCube, PlayStation. And so that's really been ma the majority of my life as far as my association with gaming has gone. Um, but for a lot of people, they, they knew a long time as, as gamers before, before Xbox Live, before connected, you know, online connectivity was a was a thing, and that's just it's crazy, man. That's that's Xbox's big contribution, and you know, you fast forward to today, and that's Game Pass is kind of their second coming of that. And I understand Game Pass is a little bit more a little bit more contentious with you know, is this you know, who can really afford to compete in this space, and is it really beneficial at the end of the day to the developers and everyone to have a subscription-based model and you know only time will tell how this all plays out but there's no doubt that game pass is revolutionizing and changing the way we consume access and approach gaming in, in really from all from all angles and again there's xbox at the forefront kind of making that happen and you know again so it might it might not be sexy and cool because xbox doesn't necessarily have 20 new awesome first party games that we can all get hyped about this year. And that is important that they have those games and, and we're working on that. We're working towards that, but it is also really important at the same time to note that like hey, a lot of the way we interface with gaming today is because of the contributions of Xbox. I, this let's stop now. Now it feels like I'm just kind of cucking out to Microsoft guys. Listen, please sell your iPhones, buy an Android, sell, sell your, sell your Macs, buy a PC, sell your playstations, buy an Xbox, Remember to subscribe to Boss365. It's very important that we all become Microsoft shills. And uh, while we're talking about Microsoft, I figured we'd bring up God of War Ragnarok, which uh, came out on PlayStation last week. No, let's talk about the, uh, the, the VGAs, the Video Game Awards. So the Game Awards taking place on December 8th this year. I believe it's December 8th, right? And uh, anyway, yeah, it's December 8th. This past week, they announced the nominees for the Game of the, game of the Year. Well, they announced the nominees for all the awards, but, you know, Game of the Year is the one we, we care about the most. So 
Uh, remember, for the Game Awards, the way it works is it's like it's I don't remember the way it's weighed, but it's like critics and like pundits have a heavier voting power. But then audience is also like 10 percent or something like that of the vote for these different categories. So you can go to the Game Awards dot com and, and vote in all these categories and and help choose, you know, what wins game of the year, who wins influencer of the year, who wins best sound director or family game or whatever the fucking awards are. But I did think it'd be interesting to just read off the six contenders for the game of the year award, the nominees for the 2022 game awards coming up in just a couple weeks. So I'm sure we'll have a ton of news to talk about in three weeks when that happens, because always, always on the game awards, we get tons and tons of E3 style announcements. So That'll be no doubt an interesting one. So let's get into it, guys. The six nominees for Game of the Year this this year are as follows. A Plague Tale Requiem from a Sobo Studio, Focus Entertainment as the publisher. Elden Ring, developed by From Software, published by Bandai Namco. God of War Ragnarok, developed by Sony Santa Monica, published by Sony Interactive Entertainment. Horizon Forbidden West, developed by Guerrilla Games, published by Sony Interactive Entertainment. Stray, developed by Blue 12 Studio and published by Annapurna Interactive. And lastly, Xenoblade Chronicles 3, developed by Monolith Software and published by Nintendo. So those are our six Game of the Year nominees. Really important to note that obviously Xbox is very noticeably absent from this list. And if you go onto the website and look at all the awards that uh, you can go and vote for, Xbox is across the board just really, really absent. And that's because, I mean, obviously we all know this year's been a rough one for Xbox. There's been pretty much nothing. Uh, you know, Grounded went from its um its kind of beta release to its proper uh full release, and we're getting Pentiment in a little bit here. Or it just came out this week rather. And uh man, I mean, am I missing anything? Like it's been a bad year for Xbox. It's just been slow content updates for Halo and things like that. So Obviously, you can feel the, the the big sore spot in the first party lineup without um, without uh, without Starfield and in in all these games having hit market. Um, so I I don't know, man. That's it's not it's not a good look. I mean, there's nothing you can say about it. It just is what it is. It's not like it's anything we did or anything. We're not to blame for it. But uh, it's not. It's it really is a a tough look for Xbox, especially when they're in this position of. The narrative has been for so long, Xbox doesn't have any games. But the past few years, the narrative has been, wow, Xbox is buying so many studios. And you look at where they are, and it's just like, still nothing. Still nothing. I really do believe, and I feel like I've said this every year, Xbox On has been around, that next year will be the year. And and to be fair, though, last year was a pretty damn good year for Xbox first party. You got freaking Halo, Forza, Flight Sim, Psychonauts 2. You know, all, all these games, it was not a bad year by any stretch of the imagination, but I truly believe next year we are going to finally hit that stride where we can we can begin the cadence of a couple solid first-party games a year and eventually ramp it up to where there's a solid first-party game basically every month or two. Um, that's where we're headed. So, I don't know. I just wanted to note that because it's it's insane. You look at this list. I mean, A Plague Tale, it's a multi-platform game. Elden Ring, multi-platform game. God of War and Horizon Forbidden West, both PlayStation games. Stray, multi-platform game. Xenoblade, Nintendo game. So you have three multi-platform games, two PlayStation games, and one Nintendo game. Nothing for Xbox. I mean, obviously, Plague Tale, Elden Ring, and uh, or not Stray, just Plague Tale and Elden Ring are on Xbox, but 
none of these are Xbox games. And that's a, I don't know, that's that's something worth noting, I think. Um, no, no doubt, though, next year we'll see for sure Starfield is going to be, unless Starfield has like a cyberpunk um, kind of launch debacle, I, I think it's, it's a pretty sure, sure bet that uh, Starfield will be nominated, whether or not it wins, you know, there's no way to tell at this point, but I think it's pretty obvious that that's going to be a shoe in a front runner for a game of the year nominee next year. So we will see Xbox return soon, uh, but sorely missed this year. Um, although I must say, even though the, what I'm about to say is not necessarily Xbox first party, I will say it is a crying shame that Sonic Frontiers didn't make this list. I mean, are, are you kidding me? You fucking, are you dense? You're going to put God of War on this list? You're going to put fucking Horizon Forbidden West on this list, but not Sonic. Okay. All joking aside, and this one's actually serious. You're going to put motherfucking Xenobay, Xenoblade Anime Titty Chronicles 3 Dream Drop Distance as a game of the year nominee, but you're not going to put Sonic Frontiers. Okay. Okay. I take you serious games industry. I think you're pretty, you're pretty serious looking. Yeah, that's good. All right. Let's move a little faster guys. So this week, this, this should have been the main news segment, but I just don't feel like there's much to say about it. Remedy have announced that they are co-developing and co-publishing a sequel to control their, what year was that? That was 2019 game control with 505 games. The publisher of the first title control Two, formerly known as Codename Heron will release on PC, Xbox Series S and X, and PS5, and will be built on Remedy's Northlight engine, the pair announced that last week. Remedy will publish the game on PC platform, and 505 will publish the game on consoles. The project is currently in the concept stage. So we already knew that this game was getting a sequel, but we didn't have an official title, so now we know it's being called Control 2. We didn't know that 505 is only going to be publishing it on plot on consoles that's odd remedy will be publishing it on pc that that is definitely different i wonder if that has to do with remedy's deal with epic game store maybe this will be an epic game store exclusive i think it will be that's probably what plays into that so this is probably epic games money that is going into this game making it kind of a more of a co joint venture with 505 this time around rather than relying on 505 to be the publisher, as was the case with the first title. And obviously the platforms in question here are all the usual suspects. So nothing really interesting there. It's just as interesting as the general news is, is that, you know, they're, they're giving us more concrete information on Control 2, a follow-up to a game that I thought was pretty damn great from 2019, criminally underplayed and underappreciated game, in my opinion. There's not, there's not much to say here. It's just an update on kind of how the publishing angle of this is going to work. But good to know we have some confirmation on the title. Don't care too much when all is said and done because, again, as, as they note, the project is in the concept stage. So that means we are many years away from this game releasing and therefore... It's like, okay, you can go dark on this game until you're ready to show it in action because I really don't, I don't care about having a Bioware approach of like telling me, you know, like, hey guys, we're 47 years into developing the next Mass Effect. Uh, here's a, here's a little bit of information for you for N7 Day. Um, one of the, one of the side quest characters, one of the NPCs in the game will be named Goron. All right. See you next year, guys. See you, see you next year for our next update. On uh, on Mass Effect 12, uh, Mass Effect gets a new nose. That's the subtitle of the game. I don't know, so I I don't I don't really much care for that EA kind of approach to game development. So if we can just uh, maybe shut the fuck up until we're ready to show it off, and I think we'll all be better off for it. But no doubt, exciting in, in just in in general to know that Control 2 is very much real and it is on the way because 
Control 1 was such a great game. Although, Quantum Break, still I think the most underrated game by Remedy. And also make sure you guys play your campaign for um, Crossfire X because it's also very good. All right, next up, this uh, it's kind of a long one for a story of mild amusement. I just don't want to I just don't want to belabor the point too much because it is about the Activision PlayStation Call of Duty debacle. Um, although this is just more concrete information on it. So th- this is a Phil Spencer was on the Verge's the Verge the website the Verge the tech site uh, on their podcast called Decoder. And uh, there's a lot of quotes from this this podcast episode that we're going to be using in today's news. Um, but this is the one I think that is of least consequence just because it's kind of a reinterpret, not reinterpretation, but like a, a, a reaffirmation of something we've just been talking about ad nauseum. So we'll kind of read it to get it out there and then move on with our lives. But uh, as relayed from VGC, Microsoft head of gaming has stated that he is open to making a commitment to Sony and regulators that Call of Duty will stay on PlayStation on a longer term basis than currently agreed to. Speaking on the Verge's Decoder podcast, Phil Spencer explained that he was open to making a commitment that would make Sony and and global regulators happy as Microsoft continues to await approval of the proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard King. Quote, this idea that we would write a contract that says the word forever in it, I think is a little bit silly, but to make a longer term commitment that Sony would be comfortable with that the regulators would also be comfortable with. I have no issue with that at all. And quote, that was from Phil Spencer. The article continues. This appears to be the first time Spencer suggested Microsoft might be willing to make a clear concession as regulators, including the EU and UK, have been expanding their investigation of the proposed deal, attempting to clarify what there are no trips. There are no trick tricks or loopholes in the statement spencer added we think call of duty will be on playstation as long as players want to play call of duty on playstation and that's not a competitive threat against sony that is just a pragmatic way of looking at it when the podcast host nilly patel appeared on appeared to start suggesting that xbox could get around it by offering a streaming only version for playstation phil spencer quickly interrupted to clarify native call of duty on playstation not linked to having carry on game pass anything so basically or his quote continues. Let me read that. If they want a stream version of Call of Duty, we could do that as well, just like we do with our own consoles, but there's nothing behind my back. So basically what he's saying is, listen, guys, Call of Duty will be available on PlayStation in the same capacity that it already has been. And that's why I didn't want to put this in the main news segment is because I think most of you guys are probably hearing this right now and rolling your eyes, thinking about maybe switching over to a car talk or something else to listen to because it's like, yeah, okay, we believe you, Phil. You're not taking Call of Duty away from PlayStation. And I and, and that's the thing is, I, I think the thing to gleam on from here isn't that he's like, hey, we're going to keep putting Call of Duty on PlayStation. It's like, okay, yeah, we already believe that point. I think the bigger takeaway here is more specifically, the. this is actually the telling part. It's pretty interesting, I think, where he says, quote, I'll read it again. This idea that we would write a contract that says the word forever in it, I think is a little bit silly. That That's it, right? That And I think, I, I, I kind of wish we talked about this sooner because, this really is at the crux of it, I, I because there is this little bit of a, I think this back and forth between PlayStation and Xbox fanboys where it's like, well, he won't, he's just being so walk around, you know, he won't be specific, he won't commit to it. And it's like, yeah, because if you're going to make a legal contract, why the fuck would you make something so definite, so permanent when you don't know the way the market is going to shift and which way the wind is going to blow 10, 15 years from now, you know, if Call of Duty continues to go the same way it's gone for the past motherfucking 15 years since Call of Duty Modern Warfare, you know, if it continues to go that same exact route, then I think what Xbox is basically saying is like, yeah, we're going to keep putting Call of Duty on PlayStation, just like it's on Xbox, just like it's on everything else. We're not going to change anything about it. 
But who knows what could happen in 10 years? It could be the case that, you know, 10 years from now, Xbox cloud gaming is like the definitive way to play games. Sony really stuck to their guns about like the tr more traditional way of playing games. No subscription service, no gaming catalog, no serious cloud gaming comp competitor. And they kind of fell by the wayside. Now, PlayStation is kind of an irrelevant past tense brand and, and Xbox is kind of where it is. And who knows, maybe it's like Google and Amazon kind of kicked it into high gear. And they're the, the main competitors these days, along with Apple. And they have a VR headset that lets you look at naked anime titties all the time so when games get censored on playstation and nintendo you can go over to apple and look at it all day long and it's a good time and who knows the games industry could be anywhere in 10 to 15 years this is just a comp this, this is just basic business sense you wouldn't want to spend you know 69 billion dollars on a company and then write yourself into a contractual corner by being like, oh yeah, we promise to forever and always for the rest of eternity uh, agree to this specific deal that happens to be very relevant and beneficial to all parties involved in the year 2022, but could drastically change given the fact that uh, things happen and life does change. So I think that is really the, the actual takeaway from the, this story because the Phil Spencer doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on the whole, we're not taking Call of Duty away from, from PlayStation. That is a tired point to be made at this point. No one wants to hear it anymore. We all get it. But uh, the the point where he's basically kind of backing up and explaining why they are dodgy about it, why they can't just give a definitive like, hey, here's here's the deal. You know, I'm sure over at Xbox and Microsoft, they're pretty comfortable saying, you know, I think for the next five, seven years, Call of Duty is probably going to continue to go exactly the way it's been. The games industry is probably going to stay largely the way it's been, where PlayStation is going to be a, the biggest console manufacturer in the games industry space xbox will be a, a distant third to nintendo and and playstation and um and call of duty is going to continue to sell like crack on playstation we feel pretty confident being like yeah we'll make a deal with sony we're open to making a deal with sony a contractual agreement to say we're not touching call of duty on playstation uh, for five more years for seven more years whatever makes you comfortable but we're not gonna we're not gonna sit here and be like we promise for the next 274 years to never take Call of Duty away from PlayStation players in any capacity because in 274 years, we might all be really addicted to the Ouya 3 and PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo might be long forgotten names. It, it, who knows? It's so much could happen between now and then. Uh, shout out to those of you who caught the reference and remember what the fucking Ouya is. But uh, yeah, there, I, we'll, we'll leave it at that because I'm sure we're all tired of the story, but there is our update of the week. Phil Spencer, you do like to, to beat around the bush sometimes. I appreciate the, the candidness on this one for sure. I, I you can I feel like you can tell with these quotes. Phil Spencer's starting to get a little like tired of talking about this. It's like we really didn't expect it to be taking this long. We're just ready to kind of be done with the fucking deal already. So when he's doing the press tour, when he's going on these podcasts and they're pressing him and they're pressing him about, oh, well, the PlayStation, well, Call of Duty exclusivity. Mm, maybe, mm, maybe that's the answer you're giving. But what you really mean to say is, I feel like he's starting to get like a little snappy. He's starting to become a little bit like, listen, man, I understand you're just doing your job. You're trying to get the quote. You're trying to twist the story. You're trying to get some information out of it. But like, bro, I'm tired of fucking talking about it. PlayStation and Call of Duty will continue to make boom, boom, but Xbox will also get it because Game Pass is good. Okay, done. Okay, let's talk about mobile games. And that's what we'll get to in the main news segment, unfortunately, because mobile is all over the news this week. But yeah, I, you can you can just kind of feel it in these in these quotes. Phil Spencer's a little maybe tired of, of this constant back and forth. All right, next up, let's talk about Doom Eternal for a quick second. So there is a big controversy kerfuffle going around uh id software developer bethesda owned developer therefore microsoft xbox owned developer uh of doom 
regarding the music from the 2020 game Doom Eternal. Now, basically what happened was the composer of the game, Mick Gordon, um, alleged last week that he was uh, falsely accused by its software studio director for being, for the failure of Doom Eternal soundtrack. So he wrote a 14,000-word four, statement on Reddit last week, which goes into like insane specific detail talking about his right to defend himself uh, and going on and on about how the studio director of id software marty stratton uh, basically blamed him for the soundtrack's poor quality going on and on about how he was basically screwed over of a lot of money how they they said like half the musical compositions for the game were completely unusable and would not be included in the game and then scrapped and then after the fact they used them in promotional material and ended up reworking them with a different sound team and using them in different capacities and Basically going on about how he was completely fucked over by id and by Marty Stratton and by Bethesda and how um, and, and this is kind of just blown up into a big story over the past week. Now, I got to be honest, I have not read the 14,000 word statement that he posted on Reddit. And that's kind of why I don't want to dive into this too much is because initially I was well, first of all, just to be quite honest with you, I'm, I'm a little tired of just all the industry uh back and forth the 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 harassment the gossip the mistreatment the falling outs it's 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 like damn dude can we just come on for like three weeks can china not buy a big company and someone not harass a woman and and these two guys not blow up and break up and and destroy a studio for like two weeks man it's like god there's the whole thing with the developers of disco elysium and that falling out that whole potential lawsuit going on as well which i have specific intentionally not putting the show the past two weeks because I just I'm, t- I, I'm tired of these things but we can't ignore this one because you know we're talking about a first party studio at this point it's software Bethesda it's all part of the Xbox family so Bethesda after like a full week finally responded to this and uh, basically the internet is all on the composer Mick Gordon's side um, saying like fuck you Bethesda fuck you Marty Stratton you know you guys did this guy dirty for sure, there's definitely a little bit of a of a, of a bias here, of a preference towards uh, McGordon in, in this instance. But Bethesda came out and you know did one of those PR game developer tweets where like black background, white text, wall of white text. You know that that's so popular these days. It's usually how games game delays are announced. But they they basically came out and said, "Hey, we defend Marty and the leadership team at id Software, and this is defamation, and we we don't stand by or agree with." the accusations being thrown at us from McGordon and all this shit. So they kind of really shot themselves in the foot in a way because it's like, eh, that's not really the popular opinion. So you're going to face a lot of backlash. It's Bethesda has put themselves in the position to become the next uh, Blizzard Entertainment, or at least for a couple days they are, because this is not going to go over well, the reaction to this 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 take. Um, I just want to be clear that I, I just haven't read enough into the story to really lev- you know offer a lot of, a lot of interpretation on the story. Like I said, I am, I am just tired of these stories. And, and a part of me wanted to wait and kind of see how this would evolve and roll out as um as, as the week went on and as different parties got involved and offered quotes and, and statements. And uh, this, this response from Bethesda happened literally as I was beginning to record the podcast. So I didn't have the time to stop and read the 14,000 word uh, Reddit post. So 
I will probably have to go back and, and, and catch up on this stuff, and then we can maybe talk about it next week. But I did want to just put it out that this this story is out there. It's, it's a growing concern. It's probably something we're going to have to start talking about a little more seriously. If you do want to read it, the, the information is easily out there. You can find the Reddit post. Um, but, yeah, I mean, no doubt, obviously, at the end of the day, it, it, this this boils down to a workplace fallout where – Seems like someone was mistreated. Someone's being accused wrongly so. And uh, regardless of whatever side it is or however this goes, it's, you know, big old F you to the corporation for allowing this kind of conduct to happen. You know, it's, it's it seems, I don't want to, like, pick a side here, but it does seem like someone was kind of screwed over their creative process and, and potential money <laughs> that they may be entitled to. But uh, we'll have to, well, I'll have to read into it more, and then we can come back and, and talk about this later. So we'll, we'll see. Maybe we'll get some further development over the coming days, and then we can have a, a proper conversation next week about it. But just know that that is a whole thing that's going on. Remember when games used to be about, like, remember when game news used to be like, oh, this game is out. It's fun. Now game news is like everyone was raped. The end. Anyway, speaking of being acquired, developers being acquired. There we go. Perfect segue. Thunderfall have announced that they are acquiring Jumpship, the developer responsible for the newly released sci-fi survival story Somerville. We just talked about this game just came out, so the acquisition is literally happening as the uh, as the game is coming out. So the Swedish group Thunderfall, which consists of a number of companies that develop, publish, and invest in games, says the deal is expected to become completed to, as of this week for an undisclosed amount of money. This also marks the release of Somerville, so this was on Tuesday, uh, which is Jump Ship's debut title. As part of the announcement, Thunderfall... Thunderful say that Jumpship will retain creative autonomy as it continues to create top-class story-driven narrative games... Jumpship Jump Ship was for, founded in 2017 when Playdead co-founder uh, Dino Patty, who previously produced Limbo and Inside, teamed up with movie animator Chris Olson to work on Somerville. Patty will remain as Jumpship at Jumpship following the acquisition of the studio, and will also take on a new role as strategic advisor for Thunderful Games. In a statement, Thunderful Chief Officer Agostino. Uh, Simonetta said that, quote, the level of intrigue that Jumpship's managed to generate from its debut title shows that this is a team with a deep artistic vision. So it looks like Thunderfall is maybe maybe trying to cultivate the next Annapurna Interactive. Like maybe they're trying to get to more of this uh, publishing of these more artistic indie smaller projects type deals like we get with games like Limbo and Inside. And now Somerville. So that is my like knee-jerk kind of response to what it looks like is going on here. But I'll I'll be hundred percent honest. I'm not super familiar with Thunderful with Thunderful, um, the investment group. It, like I said, everything is up for grabs financially right now in the games industry. Everything's about mergers and acquisitions, buying up all the talent. And it's not entirely ridiculous to think of why you would want to acquire this team because you're basically acquiring the spiritual successor to Play Dead even though Playdead's still around, uh, because, you know, these guys kind of proved themselves and cut their teeth with Limbo and Inside and now are coming back with this new Project Somerville. And uh, so it kind of speaks for itself. So I think this is really just one of those opportunities to buy up this little corner of talent. I'm sure these guys are worth a pretty penny, but, you know, when you compare it to Bungie and Bethesda and Activision, it's a it's a pretty reasonable sum. So it's a good way for these companies to kind of invest in games without having to spend the biggest bucks, I, I guess, if you want to look at it that way. This the deal does kind of remind me a bit of when uh, that game Firewatch came out. Man, what was the name of that developer? Campo Santo, the developer of Firewatch. So those guys, for those who don't remember, so 
Campo Santo is a small team of developers formed by a bunch of ex guys that used to work at Telltale Games, like worked on like um, the old like Walking Dead and Wolf Among Us games and stuff like that. They left Telltale Games and formed Campo Santo, which made and released in 2016. I want to say early 2016, Firewatch was that is that one of those like walking sim first person story driven games. I actually really like that game. I know people are kind of divided on it. I really love that game. I think the opening of that game is actually one of the most memorable. One of the most memorable first 10 minutes of a game I've ever experienced in my life. Such a really, really awesome opening. Uh, I really do enjoy that game. It's a, just somberness and just kind of, I don't know, there's just something, there's something so like kind of sardonic and, and just dour about that game that I really admire. But anyway, um, Campo Santo, you know, they, they put out they put out Firewatch. It was their first game, you know, following their success over at Telltale and now with their new team. And then shortly after the game launched, they uh, actually that game was originally PlayStation exclusive timed, and then it came to Xbox later. Anyway, but um, yeah, that uh, shortly after they put out their first and only game, they were then acquired by uh, actually Valve of all of all companies. So they were acquired by Valve, and then they announced some other game which looked kind of like a similar walking style um, adventure story game. Um, and then that game got canceled and they just got folded into valve and they never made another game again. And just like every developer who works for valve, they just went on to do God knows what, I don't know if they're just supporting steam or they worked on steam deck or they worked on the valve index or who knows what the fuck, because we know valve doesn't make games. So that, that was a little more of an interesting one because they were like this kind of like indie darling talent that was gobbled up by valve to stop making games <laughs> so let's let's hope that thunderfall isn't looking to acquire a jump ship here uh for a similar purpose like hey we want you to uh just never make a game again okay we'll buy you we'll pay you good good money but just promise us that you never make a video game ever again <laughs> and that's god hopefully that's not what we're looking at here but you know congrats to the guys over at jump ship on the successful launch of somerville which seems like it's being well received and and on the acquisition i'm sure they all made some decent money off of uh, uh this one-two punch of releasing a game and then being acquired so congrats to them uh wishing them all the success in the world and uh let's move on with uh two two quick last ones before we move into the bigger news stories of the week guys you didn't think we could make it this far without talking about Sonic Frontiers, did you? Come on. What kind of Xbox podcast will we be if not for Sonic Frontiers? So I do want to just know this is quite interesting. So um, I feel like more and more these days, people really paying attention to the Steam charts. But this past week, this uh, Steam released, uh, well, Sonic Frontiers came out, came to Steam, and Steam released a new set of, uh, of a new a new record for Sonic the Hedgehog, the franchise. Um, with Sonic Frontiers coming to Steam, the game set a new record for the most concurrent players of any Sonic game on Steam ever. That's kind of crazy. So following the game's launch, uh, the Steam version of the game peaked at 19,181 players concurrently, according to the Steam database. That's significantly higher than the series' previous high of 11,937 people, which was set by 2017's very well-received, very popular Sonic Mania, which is a uh, 2D classic-style game. The figures suggest that the generally positively received uh, title uh, or the positive reception to the title has led to increased interest in the game compared to other recent Sonic titles. For comparison's sake, these are the top concurrent peaks of Sonic games to date. So before Sonic Frontiers came out and, and hit 19,000 concurrent players, Sonic Mania in 2017 hit just shy of 12,000. Sonic and All-Star Racing Transformed, which came out in 2012, 
hit just shy of 6,000 concurrence. Sonic Origins, which came out over this past summer, hit over 2,600 concurrence, which is pretty poor, actually. But, you know, it's just a re-release of classic games, so I guess it's not that shocking. In 2017, Sonic Forces, which is the most recent 3D Sonic game before Frontiers, uh, hit concurrent user base of just over 2,000, which is pretty terrible, and so on and so forth, with you know, with the weakest launch being Sonic Lost World, which was originally a Wii U exclusive in 2013, but then came to PC, I want to say in 2017 or 18, randomly, they just brought it to Steam. That game's highest concurrent player base was 252 people. Just for clarification's sake, I beat that game like three times on Wii U. I've beaten it, uh, I want to say, twice on PC. I'm one of the 252 people that were probably of the concurrent user base on that. Peak concurrence. Anyway, so this is just a big congratulations to Sonic. Some some context there. It looks like Sonic is really kind of hitting a stride right now. I know people <laughs> maybe don't want to hear it, but uh, between the movies and Sonic Mania five years ago and now with Sonic Frontiers and all this, Sonic... Uh, not not doing bad at all. So big shout out to Son- uh, Sonic Team and Sega for the success here. It's good to see my boy doing well. Now you know, for comparison's sake, guys, let's be let's be fair. Um, Call of Duty Black o- or Black Ops, Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two, which came out a few weeks ago, you know, its peak concurrent user base on Steam was like two hundred thousand or something like that. So you know, this is puny puny numbers compared to like the biggest games of the year, like Call of Duty. But compared to most games that release. Uh, you know, on Steam, you know, 19,000 players concur- concurrently is quite impressive. That's a very good number. So this is also really good for Sonic. It's really good for Sega. So I, I, I love to see this. I, I'm really loving to see all the positivity and the support surrounding this game because it seems like, aside from the people who have kind of based their identity on hating on Sonic, um, it seems like people are really just enjoying this game for being the really fun platformer that it is. And then lastly, I do want to just, um, sh- you know, offer my condolences on a bit of sad news that happened this past week uh, as VGC relays. Veteran Batman voice actor Kevin Conroy has died at the age of 66. The American voice actor uh, voiced the DC character in various media over a 30-year period, including video games like the Batman Arkham games and the Injustice series, most recently in the game Multiverses. Uh, outside of the Batman games, Conroy voiced the character in Crusaders of the Magic uh, of Ma- of Might and Magic, Jack and Daxter, the Precursor Legacy. I did not know. I think he voices Jack. That's crazy. And Max Payne Two, The Fall of Max Payne. So, just wanted to give a you know condolences. That's a you know to the untimely, <laughs> unexpected passing of of Kevin Conroy. That's really sad. I, I saw this is one of those uh, one of those celebrity deaths that kind of really took a lot of people and really really sucked. And uh, you know it's. It, it, it we it's 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 interesting because um you know historically in the games industry voice actors these kind of act actors celebrities of the games industry you know they're they aren't really regarded or celebrated the way we celebrate and, and look to like Hollywood actors and stuff like that right and so it's just one of those things where over recent years we have seen the rise and kind of more notoriety surrounding you know the 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 talented actors and people that work in the games industry and contribute to these these characters and bring them to life and in, in, in these games that we love and so Kevin Conroy is kind of at the forefront of that he's one of those voice actors I think where people kind of definitely know his name and, and think highly of him and you know it's it, it is sad it is this is one of those things that brings a lot of attention and you know while it's really unfortunate that the world is now without this guy it's also really you know the positive thing to glean from here is that 
this is one of those guys that that did a lot to contribute to the legitimacy and the professionalism of gaming. You know, an entertainment industry that's largely been laughed at and taken as a as a childish kind of hobby. Um, this is a guy who's contributed greatly to the validity and the seriousness and the maturity of 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 our medium by, you know, by offering just really stellar acting and properly and really aptly portraying a, a beloved, timeless character like Batman. And obviously, people grew really attached to him for his work and his contributions to not only these games but just this character as a whole. And it's uh, it sucks, dude. It's sad. It's sad to see this stuff happen. Sixty six, way too fucking young. That's that's sad. That shit's sad. Anytime I see someone die before the age of like 80, I'm like, yikes, that's fucking young. So I don't, I don't know. Even even 80 to me is a little too young. I don't know. Dude, with, the way, with where we are with science and technology and how wealthy the world is, it's kind of fucked when someone, you know, someone dies of like a health-related issue or medical-related issue or like natural causes or something, you know, earlier than the year of like, earlier than like the age of 90. Because it's just like, what what the fuck is going on? <laughs> why don't Why don't like politicians ever die? <laughs> it's just like, Everyone else. It's like, oh, yeah, they died at 52 because fuck you guys. But meanwhile, politicians live to be like 174 years old. They survived car crashes and cancer left and right. But fucking Kevin Conroy, 66. So rest in peace. Thank you for your contributions to the to our industry. And uh, just uh, want to put out some, some respect on this man's name. Now, guys, that's it for all the news of mild amusement stories, updates, that kind of sort of deal. Now, let's move on over to the proper news segment, but you know how it goes. We don't just run into it head first like a bunch of fucking idiots on motorcycles without helmets on, which is a crazy thing people do here in Florida. No, 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 no. Instead, what we're going to do is take it slow, talk about the games we've been playing this week, chat about that for a bit, and then move into the news. But before I can tell you about the games I've been playing this week, guys, you know I got to tell you about what I've been eating. So, guys... I think it's time I learn you a little bit, okay? We got some real gamer food to talk about this week. The Call of Duty combo from Little Caesars. That's right. I did it. I fucking did it. I did, I, so this weekend, a big goal of mine was to hit the level 55 level cap on Modern Warfare 2 before Season 1 began. So this is something I, I really wanted to get done. But there's one other thing regarding Modern Warfare 2 that's been weighing on me that I felt like I needed to take care of before I could you know, feel satisfied with the time I've put into the game. And that is... You know, I got the Mountain Dew costume. I've been getting all the Mountain Dew rewards from scanning the Mountain Dew QR codes or, or unlock codes and double XP, the Mountain Dew costume and all that shit in the game. But there's one other cosmetic that you can get that's food related that I hadn't yet acquired. And this is the Little Caesars Call of Duty combo. So for those unfamiliar, Little Caesars, the pizza chain, uh, this is just a, a North America thing. So only for Canada, US and Mexico. But uh, if you go to Little Caesars in North America, you can order for $8 US, the Call of Duty combo, which comes with a large pizza, but it's half pepperoni pizza, half cheese sticks. And it also comes with a Mountain Dew. So you get the pizza, and the pizza comes with a Call of Duty code, but also the Mountain Dew comes with a Call of Duty code. So if you just buy this for eight bucks, you can get double XP, weapon double XP, COD points, which won't show up until season one starts, which is now, the call the, the Mountain Dew costume from your Mountain Dew code, the Mountain Dew banner and calling card from your Mountain Dew code, as well as the Little Caesars hot and ready charm that you can put on all your guns. And this is the part I didn't have. I had the Mountain Dew stuff already. I had a bunch of double XPs stacked up, but I did not have the Little Caesars hot and ready charm to prominently display on all my weapons of mass destruction. So now I feel better about myself. I went to Little Caesars. I ordered the combo. 
It's kind of fucking crazy. I, I never go to Little Caesars, so this is kind of weird for me. Um, you know, in the three years I've lived here in Florida, I've probably been to this Little Caesars like one other time. So I ordered on the app. I go there to pick up my pizza, and um, there's no one in the parking lot. There's not a single car in the parking lot. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I go up to the door to open it up. It says my order's ready on the app, and then the door's locked. I'm like, dude, it is 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Why is Little Caesars closed? So I pull around to the drive-thru because some Little Caesars have drive-thrus. And um, I see a guy in there and he's like prepping food or whatever. There's a guy in the kitchen working. And so I, I pull – well, first I pull up to the call box. You know, like when you go to a fast food restaurant, you pull up to the call box to order the food you want. You know, well, McDonald's, how can I help you? Give me three McRibs and, and, and diabetes, please. And, and they're like, okay, pull forward. So they don't – I go up to the call box. The call box is ripped out of the fucking ground. It's missing. You can see where it's supposed to be planted in the ground, but it's not there. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? So then I pull up to the drive through window. I see the guy in there. He's prepping food. He's working. I'm like, okay, so someone is in this building. All the lights are off, but someone is in this building. So he walks by, and you can t- he makes the mistake of making like millisecond eye contact with me. He looks towards the window, sees me in my car like, hey, man, hi, hey, hey. And he just immediately looks in the other direction keeps walking. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? So I look up the number for the for the store and I try to call it. And then the, the number rings for like an, a minute and a half and then goes to voicemail. <laughs> so I leave Little Caesars Pizza a voicemail like, I need my Call of Duty points, please, please, gamer, gamer, gamer in dire need here. And uh, to no avail. So I sit there, I wait in the parking lot for another minute. And then I'm like, maybe I just have dumb, dumb strength. Maybe I need to give the door another try. So I go up to the door and I try to pull on it. Rest assured, it's still locked. This time, a second guy's in the store, and he comes up to the door, and he, he gives me this look like, whoa, 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 step back, man, step back, man. I don't want any trouble. That's the look in this guy's eyes. And I'm like, okay, what the, am I about to die? Am I about to die over an $8 fucking fast food pizza and some COD points? And, uh, well, he opens the door, and he goes, hey, man, can I, hel- can I help you? I'm like, oh, hey, I, I'm, I, 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 like, at this point, I'm a little worried that I'm about to, like, get shot or something, because I'm like, oh, this is Florida. So I'm like, hey, man, um, Sorry to bother you. Uh, I I ordered a pizza. My the notification on the app says it's ready. I'm just here to pick it up. He goes, okay. What's the name of the order? I'm like uh, Jesse. He's like, what's the, what's the, what's the order? I'm like, oh, God, you're gonna make me fucking say it, aren't you? I'm like, the Call of Duty combo. And he's like, oh yeah, I got you. Please just go in your car. I'll be there in a minute. And uh, <laughs> literally ten seconds later, this guy comes outside with my Mountain Dew and my pizza. Walks up to the car and hands me them. And I'm like. I probably shouldn't eat any of this because it they probably spit shit and vomited all over this stuff. I don't I don't feel safe anymore. But that's not the important part, guys. I got my cod points, I got my Mountain Dew points, I got my pizza points, and most importantly, I got my charm for my guns that says hot and ready. So did I almost get killed at Little Caesars? Maybe. Maybe. Probably. But the important thing is. My M4 has never looked better. It's got a hot and ready tag on it. I'm running around in a Mountain Dew costume. And war has never been more boots on the ground, uh, full frontal assault, serious, all on the line, whatever the fucking marketing buzz terms are for war games. It is crazy up in this motherfucker. You put me in Modern Warfare, I'm running around with a 20-ounce strap to my side and a hot and ready tag, ready to go, bitch, popping motherfuckers in the head. It's crazy. Modern Warfare 2, best game of all time. Fuck you. Sonic's Sonic's a little better, let's be honest. But uh, yeah, so that's what I've been eating. Um, Also, I want to give a shout-out, speaking of Mountain Dew, to the Mountain Dew Fruit Quake. Uh, Mountain Dew Fruit Quake, terrible name, I know, is the holiday 
Mountain Dew flavor for 2022. You know Mountain Dew. They're just obsessed with new flavors every 10 seconds now. They can't stick to anything permanent, even though they had permanent flavors that were good, and now they just keep doing temporary flavors that are mostly bad. But here we are. It's Christmas time, I guess. They, they released this literally the day after Halloween, but it's called Mountain Dew Fruit Quake. It's uh, it's supposed to be the flavor supposed to be fruit cake flavored. I guess fruit cake is associated with Christmas, and so they thought that would be a, a good a good flavor to attempt to make. So I finally found this in stores. You know, it's always the same thing. I have the lowest expectations. I don't think this flavor is going to be good, but I have to buy two bottles, one to drink and one to add to my Mountain Dew collection. And so I do my due diligence as a Dew fan, and I, I buy two bottles and I crack it open, expecting to fucking hate it, especially because last year's Christmas flavors. In my opinion, the worst Mountain Dew flavor of all time. That stupid gingerbread one that they had, that was terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, so I'm expecting this one to suck. And uh, to my surprise, Mountain Dew Fruit Quake, I am not sitting here recommending you go buy this. It's not good, but it's not nearly as bad as I thought it would be, to be, to be, to be fair. I thought it was going to be undrinkable dog shit. I managed to get through half the bottle. That's not bad. It's really not that bad. Honestly, the flavor profile of Fruit Quake, uh, this fruit cake flavored Mountain Dew, uh, it tastes like cherry lifesaver gummy. You know the fruit gummy snacks lifesaver. It tastes like the ch- like a cherry flavor of that, which is not terrible. Like I'm I'm okay with that. I wouldn't prefer it, but it's not bad. The thing that ruins it is there is a slight, very very faint hint of ginger in the background of the flavor. I don't fucking know why. You know, and I don't know why they had to do that. It's like the it's like last year's Christmas flavor just coming back from the dead to to make my life miserable again. So the the slight faint hint of ginger is just present enough to ruin the soda, but it is there. So it tastes like cherry gummy fruit snack with a little bit of ginger in it. It's a uh, I don't know why the fuck anyone would want that in a soda flavor, but Mountain Dew went ahead and did it because why not? Uh, because idiots like me will buy it anyway. So that's Mountain Dew Fruit Quake. I don't recommend it to anyone, but uh, I tried it. It's out there. That's what I've been eating. It's what I've been ingesting. So my entire, uh, my my body right now is just like crying. It's like, please fucking kill me because this week I've been eating Call of Duty pizza and washing it down with fruitcake flavored Mountain Dew. So clearly, you know, fuck me, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but that's it for what I've been eating, guys. Let's please quickly, promptly, swiftly move on to what I've been playing. And you guys, you guys know where I'm at. It's like, what do you, what do you want me to say? Sonic Frontiers came out last week. It's what I've been playing. Last week we talked about it. I only managed to get about three hours into the game. Well, this week I managed to play a lot more Sonic Frontiers. So I'm here to talk to you about it, guys. But first, a comment. Mr. Malg wrote in and says, you know, I read a comment on Sonic Frontiers IGN review where they said, for Sonic fans, a, a 7 feels like a 12 out of 10. So I'm glad to see that you're enjoying the game, Jesse. Well... You know, I don't actually disagree with that comment at all. Here's here's the thing about Sonic, is I, I really want to be fair about this. To all the people out there that kind of shit on Sonic or don't take Sonic seriously or meme on Sonic, I think it's warranted. Sega mismanaged this very, very important franchise way too much for way too long. I do not blame people for thinking Sonic was never good, or Sonic is stupid, or Sonic is for kids, or Sonic hasn't been good in 20 years, or all, all these things that people feel about Sonic. Sonic is just a meme, right? I don't blame people for it, because, you know, after Sonic Adventure came out, Sonic Heroes, I know people my age really like that game. Eh, that game's mediocre. So- Shadow the Hedgehog, that game is hot trash. Sonic 06, that game is a really good soundtrack and otherwise complete garbage. Sonic Unleashed, 
I, I think that game is actually incredible. Sonic Colors, that game's actually incredible, in my opinion, as well. But then they start dropping the ball, like, after that again. We're like, Sonic Forces, Sonic Lost World, you know? So Sonic does have, has had an identity crisis issue for a long time. There have been some really great Sonic games over the past 20 years while people were shitting on the franchise. But at the same time, I can't blame people for just assuming Sonic is shit when it's like the consistency is like three bad games, one great game, one okay game, two terrible games, a TV show that no one asked for, uh, a spin-off series that looks like shit, two more bad games, a good game. It's like it's it's inconsistent and and frankly there's too many there's too much good stuff out there in the world for people to enjoy reliably so on a consistent basis for me to expect people to just constantly be doing the legwork and the research to find out, well is this Sonic game worth my time or is this one of the bad ones, you know? So I I I want to just put that disclaimer out there to say I am sympathetic to why people feel the way they do feel about Sonic, but at the same time, I do want to note it has become a little bit lazy to where I think people just trash on Sonic because it's 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 like the fun thing to do. It's like why do people hate Nickelback? Because it's fun to hate Nickelback. Sonic has that thing a little bit where it's like it's just fun to meme on Sonic, so you know, even if you kind of secretly don't hate it, you're still going to make fun of it because it's like what you do, you know? So I think a lot of that kind of sentiment really clouds the ability for people to appreciate a game like Sonic Frontiers for what it is. And and I try my best, and I, and I understand if you if you take my words with a grain of salt because you know what a diehard Sonic cocksucker I am, it's fine. But I try my best to say this as much as possible from the perspective of like a person who enjoys video games trying to recommend a new video game to a, an audience of people. Like, not as a diehard Sonic the Hedgehog fanboy, you know? Sonic Frontiers is a fantastic, a fantastic character platformer game in, in modern gaming. It's a modern, 2022 modern adept game that I think doesn't do Sonic right by just, you know, being a good Sonic game, but by being everything Sonic has needed to be desperately for so long, and then some. I, I don't, I, I'm trying to find the words to say, like, because it sounds hyperbolic, but I, I mean this full-heartedly. I think Sonic Frontiers is truly not a good game, not a great game, a fantastic game. I, I genuinely love this game. And keep in mind, like, I, I actually, going to Sonic Frontiers, I knew I was going to enjoy it no matter what, because I, as a huge Sonic fan, always find enjoyment out of Sonic. But I, I did not expect this game to be revolutionary. I expected it to be like, there's a lot of good ideas here. I think they're on the right track with where they need to bring Sonic. But the execution is sloppy and messy. And there's a lot of work to be done. That's how I expected to take this game. But my walkaway is actually, my takeaway from the game is actually, yes, there are rough edges. There is room for improvement with this game, no doubt. But it is, is one of those games where it is so insanely fun so purely joyful to play that I'm able to overlook a lot of the game's faults. That's not to say I don't want them to improve on this game and make it better for the next game. I absolutely do. But it is to say it's one of those games where it is so goddamn fun that you will overlook so many of the shortcomings of this game because you. it's one of those games where you will just have that stupid fucking smile on your face. You know, this is an Xbox podcast. We talk about a lot about Halo and first-person shooters. I think that, you know, gritty, mature-rated, and you know, violent shooting games. That That is very much, 
in line with the Xbox mantra and what the Xbox ecosystem is all about. I think most people who are into Xbox are it's a pretty decent scenario. You're into a game like Halo or a game like Call of Duty or a game like Gears of War, right? You want that mature kind of uh, aggro man game, right? And don't get me wrong. I love that shit. There's a place for it. I fucking love it. The reason why still to this day as I sit here at age 27, while despite how much a game like Halo means to me, the reason why at this point in my life I still stand by the fact that 3D platformer, 3D platforming games are my favorite genre of games is because there are very few games I've ever experienced in my life that can give me that, that feeling of like, is it possible to get bored of this experience? Very few games have ever provided it to me. In fact, the only, the only, <laughs> the only non 3D platformer games to really ever provide that feeling to me have mostly just been Halo games. And, um, so the point I'm trying to make is Sonic Frontiers absolutely nails that that feeling um this is a feeling that i i think the game that has given me this feeling the most in my entire lifetime was super mario galaxy for the nintendo wii that game i still i still hold the original super mario galaxy as my all-time favorite video game of just hands down without a doubt because the the only concrete memory i have about the first time i played mario galaxy was that i lost track of absolutely everything in the world around me and just had this feeling that I need to continue to experience this game. I don't want it to end. I cannot get tired or bored of what I'm experiencing right now. And I'm not going to lie and say Sonic Frontiers feels exactly like that because it doesn't. It's not. This game is not as good as Super Mario Galaxy. It's just not. But this game definitely gives me a decent reminder of that feeling. I feel a little bit of that for sure. This this Right now I'm in the process of forcing myself not to play this game because I'm trying to savor it. The game can be completed, it seems like, in about 20 hours. It's really long for a Sonic game, actually. But I'm trying so hard to savor this game because, you know, as an adult, as someone with experience who can look back and remember, you know, my favorite gaming memories, dude, I would fucking kill if I could go back to 2007 and be 12 years old again and experience Super Mario Galaxy for the first time again. Like, I remember the night I got that game. I remember everything about that night, that first night I, I spent with that game. If I could go back in time and experience that night again, I would pay the you could put no fucking price on that. I would I would absolutely slaughter innocent children to make that happen. Like that's how passionate I am about you know the the potential to experience something like that again. And Sonic Frontiers, while it's not I I don't I don't think it's that good of a game. It it is one of the closer examples in recent history of a game that has reminded me of that feeling, that has given me a taste of that feeling, that has been, you know, a milder version of that feeling. And for that, I, I just cannot say that this game is anything shy of excellent. And in Mr. Mag, you, you make the joke about, you know, you pull the reference about for Sonic fans, a seven out of 10 is like a 12 out of 10 because we're so used to like, oh, it's a new Sonic game. What's the Metacritic score? Oh, it's a 46. Wow, that's pretty good. You know, for Sonic, that's pretty decent. You know, it, it is a joke. I think about Sonic Unleashed, my favorite Sonic game of all time. That game, that game's Metacritic score is, I think is in like the high 40s or low 50s. It's a joke. That game is definitely like at least a seven out of 10. But you know, it's we're, we're used to it. Sonic gets a lot of shit. Sonic Frontiers, it seems like it's getting a lot of praise for Sonic. It is, yeah, it's it's averaging in the the low to mid seventies right now on Metacritic, which is really good for Sonic. But no, it it, it is kind of like you say for for us fans, we know it's like okay, well, if Sonic is averaging a seven out of ten, 
we know that's pretty high praise because that comes with the the built-in bias, the built-in hatred towards Sonic where people are looking for excuses to hate on this game and rip on it. And, you know, like I think about, like, the video game donkey video for Sonic Frontiers that's kind of controversial right now. Don't, and don't get me wrong, I love video game donkey. He's one of my favorite YouTubers of all time. I will not sit here and, and, and trash that man just because he made a, game, a video I disagree with. But, um, yeah, he put out, in my opinion, which was a really crappy Sonic video this past week. And I, I don't think he should apologize for it or take it down. It's it's the video he wanted to make. It's fine. I found it perfectly entertaining, um, like most of his videos. The, you know, But this this video, I thought, was a little tasteless just because I came from it. When it, when it first came out, I, I watched this video, for those who haven't seen it. And basically, it's one of those... For those, for those who never watched Donkey, he, he really makes two kinds of videos. He either makes like the most profound and eloquent video game reviews you've ever seen, and they're really funny, really entertaining, and they leave you a lot to think of, uh, a, a, lot of a lot of ideas to think about. Or he makes just the most mindless, dumb, funny, goofy videos where he just tries to exploit a game and make it do stupid shit because it's fun. Um, this was one of those videos like the latter where he's just trying to break the game and find bugs and make it look weird and be stupid and be silly and make fun of Sonic. And that's fine. I don't really have a problem with that. You know, it's, I don't need video game donkey to validate my opinions of a Sonic game. I'm, I'm able to appreciate him as a YouTuber and also appreciate this game as a Sonic fan at the same time. But it, it is, it is bad. Cause I, I watched this video, you know, coming fresh off of like 15 hours with the game and um, it's clear as day that he's looking for ways to make the game look bad. He's like looking for ways to play the game the way it's not supposed to be played, get stuck in between objects so graphical glitches are triggered and things like that. It's, you know, he's, it's, it's not a great video. It is, it is him trying to reach, you know, just kind of show the game off, whatever. And, and listen, that's his prerogative. If he doesn't like Sonic or he just didn't like the game and gave it a fair shake. That's fine. I don't care. That's, that's, it is what it is. But, that kind of sentiment is a lot of what is generally attributed to Sonic. And I think it's, you know, it, it, it's it's unfortunate because if if you could take Sonic out of the game, if you could just change the character model to be just some generic other platform character that happens to be all about speed or whatever, what you'd find is that I think people would be a lot more accepting of this game. You know, I, as I said last week, the game looks like it's Sonic's inspiration it, like Sonic's been inspired by Zelda Breath of the Wild but when you play the game it really feels like Sonic being inspired by Super Mario Odyssey where it's just this it's this idea of like let's take the small linear levels and just blow it open into a massive world where you can just explore endlessly and every time you collect something it doesn't pull you out of a level and make you go for the next level it just lets you stay in that level and continue to explore and continue to unlock and collect and and the exploration is the carrot on the end of the stick for collecting more things and finding new shit and unlocking new pathways and progressing in the story. And the thing is, in order to pull that off properly, exploration and traversal in your game needs to feel fucking great. How does a game like Mario do that? Really fun platforming, really fun jumping, throwing your hat, jumping on it, wahooing all over buildings and, and platforms and stuff. That's how Mario does it. How does Sonic do it? Dude, 3D or open world, open zone, open world, whatever you want to call it, has been such a blessing for Sonic because this is this helps this this format allows for Sonic to reach you know the true potential of this franchise where it is all about platforming but in a very frantic schizophrenic speedy way and it's so fun running around this world in Sonic Frontiers it's like it's like skating around in a Tony Hawk game or swinging around in in a in a Spider-Man game I, I honest to god that's what I have to compare it to 
Um, you know, I, I think back of like Spider-Man Two on PS2 back in the day from Treyarch, or like the more modern Spider-Man games from 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 um, Insomniac over on PlayStation. It has that kind of addictive quality where it's like, yeah, I could fast travel right now, but I don't fucking want to because swinging webs around New York City to get from one place to another is fun. The animation is beautiful. The style is fun. The ways you can interact with the different heights of the buildings and the different styles of swinging and just all the different effects you can do. It's so fun to do that and to just try and be like the coolest, most stylish Spider-Man as you get from point A to point B. This game has that. It has that level of thing. It's like that Tony Hawk thing where it's just fun to dick around in the sandbox and pull off tricks and jump over rails and grind and stuff like that. This is that, but for Sonic. You just want to grind over all the rails and do all the fast, tight platforming and just run and run and run, and it's so rewarding and addicting. It is insane to me how how good this game is. I, I, like, I truly cannot believe how well Sonic Team pulled this game off. I know for people who aren't playing the game and just watched, you know, a video review or a trailer here, it's like, wow, that popping is so bad. Everyone's making fun of it. It's like, wow, you see like rails and platforms just like popping in. The texture popping is really bad in this game. And I don't want to make, you know, excuses for Sonic Team. I think visually it is bad. But I will say as someone who's now officially put over 20 hours into the game, you do not notice it when you're playing the game and it does not interfere with your ability to enjoy the game. I'm just being honest, you know. The game runs at a buttery smooth 60 FPS it looks mostly great, and it's so fun to play. And yeah, the texture popping is a little bit jarring for a second, but you get used to it, and it doesn't impede on the game. It's not like, oh, fuck, I didn't jump to that platform because it didn't pop into the map until I got like within a centimeter of it. It's like that stuff doesn't happen. Everything is always there when you need it to be, and it's fast and fluid and smooth as fuck. You know, if I were going to give this game any true criticism, I'm not going to give it on the uh, on the presentation of the graphic pop inside the thing i would actually criticize this game for is it's um is it's cyber stages which are you know throughout the world it has these cyber stages which are like your more traditional 3d sonic stages where it's like a two minute little like run from point a to point b which i love i love these kinds of levels in sonic but in this game they do a really kind of lazy thing where they pull a lot of art assets and background settings from previous sonic games so when you're in these little cyber stages which are like the secondary kind of game mode in, in this game um it's like you're kind of playing like revamped reworked remixed versions of levels from like sonic adventure 2 sonic generations sonic colors and aesthetically they all look like sonic generations but you know from a map design point it's like they just look like various remixes of levels from Sonic games from the past 15 years and so I, I, I actually do take umbrage with that a little bit of the control scheme also feels a little slower in these stages than they felt in previous games because the the physics and the controls are they're measured and done a little differently to accommodate the more open world design of the game and uh, when you're in the cyber stages it feels a little recycled it feels a little redundant and it feels a little slower than usual um, but it's still very good. Not to the point where it's like they're not fun, but to the point where it's like, hmm, I think those were slightly better in Sonic Generations and in Sonic Unleashed. But, you know, that that is my biggest criticism of the game. And that that is like the secondary or tertiary part of the game. Main part of the game are these open zone main worlds you explore, collecting all the memories of the characters, helping them unlock new areas, in progressing the story, collecting Chaos Emeralds, collecting gears, unlocking new levels. That is the main loop of the game is this exploring the map collecting new things as you do it interacting with the characters and dude they got they got ian flynn to write the story the guy from the sonic comic series and i've actually followed the sonic comic series since it uh since the new one began in 2018 with idw comics and i, I gotta be honest i mean it's not like listen i'm not trying to say like put god of war down this is the story you gotta experience but 
it's a really cool story for a Sonic game. It's 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 if you liked the way storytelling telling was handled in 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 games like Sonic Adventure, then I think you have a lot to love here. It's a lot of that like cute emotional story about like friends and overcoming you know adversity and like you know beating the bad guy, but there's there's some heart to it. You know, it's a little goofy, it's a little campy, it's but it's fun and and, and you care and you get invested in the characters and it's fun. You know, it's not it's not like Sonic Colors where it's like written for like an audience of eight-year-olds where they're like wow mr egghead you're a meanie bald-headed nose butt and they're like yeah i'm gonna kick your butt and win the day it's it's like there's actual story to it and surprisingly deeper than i expected it to be and I, i'm enjoying that aspect of it just a, a ton it's just i i, I cannot express I'll, I'll i'll back off because i know a lot of people listening to this podcast are probably just not sonic fans but i cannot express just how truly surprised I am that they really pulled this game off. Uh, it's I, I think to date, I think this is the best representation of Sonic. And I don't feel weird or embarrassed saying that at all. I truly think like if you've never played a Sonic the Hedgehog game, this is the one you need to play. Or if you if you if you swore off Sonic a long, long time ago, my personal Sonic favorite Sonic game is going to continue to be Sonic Unleashed. I don't think this game is going to top that for me because that game just means so much to me. But if I'm trying not to speak from the perspective of a Sonic fan, but rather from the perspective of someone who's just recommending a game they're playing, who's reviewing and responding to a game they've experienced, I truly believe Sonic Frontiers is not a good game. It's a great game. I truly, truly love this game. I truly think that this game actually would appeal to a much wider audience than than uh, than a lot would assume. I, I don't think you need to be a Sonic fan to enjoy this game. I don't think you need to be you know, a fan of old school Sonic to enjoy this game. I think if you like platformer games or you like, you like games that are about enjoying the traversal. If you think, listen, I would recommend this game to people that liked sunset overdrive or Spider-Man because at the very least, you might not like Sonic as a character. You might not like the story, but if you enjoy those games, because it is addicting to just move around and explore in those games, then you will like Sonic Frontiers. I'm confident. I'm so confident. If you like Tony Hawk, Spider-Man, Sunset Overdrive, any of these kinds of games where the fun of the game is just running around the world, this is a game for you. This is a game for you. Because while it looks like a game like Zelda Breath of the Wild, while it looks deeply inspired by Breath of the Wild, and don't get me wrong, aesthetically, it definitely is inspired by Zelda Breath of the Wild. The difference is, Breath of the Wild is a game where you walk around slowly as a fucking third-person night elf boy running around a world. And don't get me wrong, there's plenty of great things about Breath of the Wild. I don't hate that game. I like to rag on it a lot. I don't hate that game. It's a pretty good game. But it is a game that is a big empty, boring world to explore in a way that you would explore any generic open world game. You just walk around, you can jog around, then your energy runs out and you can try, you know, whatever. And there are unique ways to interact with your environment. There are fun ways to play with the physics in Zelda. Don't get me wrong. There's some really creative stuff with that game. But the difference is Sonic Unleashed, or sorry, Sonic Frontiers is another big, empty, open world in terms of like characters to interact with and stuff like that. But it is made fun because it feels like a giant Spider-Man slash Tony Hawk style sandbox where the fun isn't who do I talk to? What do I unlock? Where are my side quests? The fun is just, oh, I see that mountain in the distance. How am I going to get there? Oh, I know. 
I'm going to jump on this rail. It's going to bring me up to this jump pad. I'm going to bring it to this platform challenge. I'm going to go through that platform challenge, and then I'm going to collect this gear. I'm going to take the gear over here, unlock this portal. That portal will unlock a new rail that connects this part of the island over this this uh, cavern or this um, this uh, this valley or whatever, so I can grind from this part of the, the island to this part of the island. And, and it's just like you're connecting the map. You're filling out more of the map. You're collecting more of the gears. You're adding new rails. You're adding more ability to transfer it to travel to different parts of the map in different ways and it's it never feels like work it never feels like hmm how am i going to get over there hmm let me let me refer to a guide or let, oh, let me let me solve this puzzle no it's always fast it's always like you got to you keep moving, you keep having fun. It's like, I'm gonna jump up here. I, I haven't grinded on this rail before. I haven't been on that platform before. All I know is if I go down that rabbit hole, if I go in that direction that I haven't been, it's going to reward me with new ways to travel around the map, more things to collect and unlock, and more ways to just interact with the world. And that's the fun, that's the loop of the game is just running around and being fast. It feels so satisfying, and I, I, I gotta leave it alone because, I, again, there's probably like one person left listening to the podcast. Hey, mom! But um, man, I just I, I love this game. I mean, <laughs> I, we every year on Xbox on, you know, at the end of the year when the news slows down at the end of December, we do our um, game of the year announcements. You know, we do the these are my five favorite games I played this year. I, I, spoiler alert, man! There's no chance in hell it's not gonna be Sonic Frontiers. This game is so special. I am barely halfway through the game. I'm taking it so slow. I've put over 20 hours into the game. I could have beaten it by now, but I'm just taking my time with each island. There's five islands in the game. Taking my time to just explore everyone 100%, do all the little side content, collect all the little guys, level up Sonic, do all my things because I just want to enjoy and savor this experience because this is not one of the better Sonic games or uh, it's an okay Sonic game or at least it's not bad like Frontiers or Forces was. This is this is a truly great game. It is a great game that happens to be a Sonic game. It is not a surprisingly good Sonic game. It is a great game. I really highly recommend Sonic Frontiers. Wow. All right. Speaking of this uh, furry Nintendo podcast we're on. Let's uh let's let's move into the news segment. Now, it went a little slow in the top half of the show because the news is a little slower this week. But um now we'll get into our our proper news run right now. All right. How, man, how do you follow up just a long 30-minute rant about Sonic Frontiers? Well, I guess we'll uh Phil Spencer will help us out cuz we got a, basically all we got for the news is a bunch of Phil Spencer quotes from this this podcast we mentioned earlier. So, all right, let's from VGC transcribing all these stories from this this podcast from earlier in the week. Xbox boss Phil Spencer, also known as CEO of gaming, has said Microsoft chose to deprioritize development of its game streaming device because it was struggling to make it cost effective. Now, we we knew that Xbox was working on a a little uh, streaming stick hardware device and uh he, here's here's the rub. Here's the here's what's going on, boys. Announced last summer, the codenamed Keystone device, the standalone device designed to let players stream Xbox games to their TVs or monitors without needing a console, Microsoft's head of gaming told The Verge's Decoder podcast that the company built Keystone as some employees even took it home to test it out. It was spotted in videos or in photos seen last month on Phil Spencer's desk as, or, as, you know, what it, not his desk, his, his shelf. But, uh... While the device is real and it was there and people did play it, it, it provided it, it proved to be too costly to manufacture, and that's ultimately why we haven't seen it. So Phil Spencer says in the podcast, quote, with Keystone, we're still focusing on it and we're actually still 
and, and when we can still get the cost right. But when you've got Series S for $299 and it's like during the holidays and you see some price promotion, you'll obviously have a Series X higher. Um, I think it's in order for a streaming only box to make sense. The price delta for the Series S has to be pretty significant, basically meaning they, they want to make there be a wide gap between the streaming stick and the cheapest Xbox, which is the Series S. Quote, I want to be able to include a controller in it when we get to do that. So it really was just about if we could build the right product at the right price or if we can't. So how, how can we focus on the team's effort? And what we decided to do was go with the TV app with Samsung, and we're really happy about the results there. And that's, of course, referring as a side note to um, the Xbox app that's launching in a lot of Samsung TVs now that we, we've seen started uh, in the past couple months, where basically modern Samsung TVs have an Xbox app, and it's a smart TV, so it connects to the internet, and you can connect any controller to your Samsung TV and basically use your Game Pass subscription to play, to stream Xbox titles to your TV. No console needed. So that's really the focus is what is what he's talking about there. Um, but he does continue on with Keystone saying that I don't want to announce pricing specifically, but I think you've got to be at like around $130 or 100 bucks, like somewhere in there for it to really make sense in my view. And we just weren't there uh, with, the, with the price. We weren't there with the controller. And I love the efforts, the reason... Uh, the reason it's on my shelf is the team rolled up their sleeves and in, in, in nine months built the thing. And a bunch of us took it home and it worked. It really worked really well. When you're building new products, it's always about do you have the right design? Do you have the right user interface? Do you have the right customer p proposition? And the customer proposition includes the price. And I think that to all of us, we knew that we were a little out of position on the price. He added, not to go into the hardware design, but if it's a thing as, as a standalone product, I mean, it's not living on the power source of your TV. It's not integrated into the circuits. You know, that's already in your TV. You have everything bespoke. But we made the right decision to make it easy. The thing, when it turns on, it looks like an Xbox. The user interface, everything works. But some of the silicon choices that we were making at the time were designs just don't let us hit the price point that we wanted to hit. Okay, so let's stop there. So basically, what, what Phil Spencer is getting at is like, this is this is a product we believe in, we want to stand behind, but it's just the time is not right, is basically what he's saying. For, for basically what it costs to manufacture this thing at mass, at mass market, uh, it's just not going to come down to the price they want to hit. And he's saying that he thinks, you know, ideally maybe somewhere around $100 to $130 is that ideal price range you want to hit for a device like this. But they weren't able to hit it. I, I, my guess is that they probably, with what they were building it for, probably were landing somewhere in the upper 100 range, probably between like $170 and $190 for this thing, maybe. And, uh, you know, that's a problem because what he's saying is they don't want to sell the device without a controller because that, you know, that makes it a hard sell when it's like, hey, here's a here's a device that you just plug in your TV and, and you can play Xbox. But, you know, you're it's obviously target marketing people who don't have Xbox if you're, you know, because if you're trying to sell your console to people who already are familiar with Xbox, chances are they have an Xbox controller from a previous Xbox they bought. But a device like this is aimed at people who just want to play you just want to give Xbox a try or just want to see what Game Pass is all about. Or maybe they just want to buy this thing so they can play a couple games like Starfield or Halo because they've heard great things about it, but they don't really want to necessarily spend hundreds of dollars on a proper Xbox. And it's it's kind of designed for that market. And for that market, you need to be able to control. You need to be able to include a controller, which is you know your basic method of input. And so it looks like what he's saying is basically with the controller included and with the silicon required to make this thing look and run as well as it did, it's going to have to cost more than what we think the value proposition where it, where it needs to be. And so it's pretty cut and clear. He, he really does say it all. So the good news here is that 
he, he he's leaving the door pretty wide open to the interpretation and the uh, assumption that this device will come up again. We will see it. It will hit market one day. It's more a matter of once we get to that point where the components can be manufactured at the price point needed to sell this at where they're looking to sell it in that hopefully 100 to $130 price range. And, you know, that could change. Honestly, the, the, the nice thing is with how fast technology advances, I wouldn't be surprised if it only takes a year or two for us to be able to really get to that point. So it is possible that this is a 2025 device or something like that and that we, we do get it mostly as it is now. But just, you know, when the time is right to sell it at a, at a more effective cost. I think Xbox may have been a little bit more convinced to sell this thing maybe at a loss just to get it out there. But if it weren't for the obvious no-brainer, the 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 thing just laying right in front of their faces, which is like, guys, we can just install an Xbox app on TVs and people can interface that way. And that way, the only barrier to entry is like, hey, you already have a Samsung TV that can play Xbox? Well, all you need to do is pick yourself up an Xbox controller for like 60 bucks and you're good to go. And, and that's, that's the value proposition I think they want to continue to lean into and market towards as they wait for the cost of manufacturing this specific standalone device to go down a little bit. The only difference is as much as I understand all of this scenario and, you know, I support it, whatever it's, it's fine. It makes sense. The, the thing is the app will never feel as legitimate as the box, you know, like I think about it, like, um, like Roku, like think about like Roku for a second. Like Roku is a stick you can buy, but it's also an app you can get on your TV. For example, I have a Samsung TV. It has a Roku app on it. I never fucking use it. This past week, I used it for the very first time so I could watch that new Weird Al movie that just came out, uh, which, by the way, is, <laughs> was really good. But I, I don't look at Roku as like a viable source of like TV because there's just something about it that just feels like this budgety, off-brand, side-whatever project where I'm like, you know, I could play my Xbox, which is this nice premium console, and I can play really awesome games on it. Or I could access like... Disney Plus or Hulu or Netflix, which are like these premium services I pay money to have access to. And there's something about it where it's alluring because it feels like you're getting the name brand proper thing, you know. But there's something about Roku where it's like, oh yeah, it's like ad, it's like ad supported free to watch. I don't really know what's on it. There's something about it that has a kind of off the shelf kind of feeling towards it. And while this isn't a perfect analogy because well, in order to use Xbox on your Samsung TV, you're still going to need to subscribe and pay money to use Game Pass. The, the The thing is, there's something about just having Xbox Game Pass live among the 40 other pre-installed apps on your Samsung TV that just doesn't feel as alluring or official or, you know, or just attractive to the consumer as being able to go out to the store and buy this little $100 box that comes with a little, a little tiny looking Xbox Series S you just plug it into your TV and you connect the controller and boom, now you're playing Xbox. And there's something about that that product that I think feels more intentional. It's a lot easier to market and to get directly into the heads of consumers, right? Having a feature on a TV, while of course that sounds more high-tech and future and convenient, isn't sexy. You don't you don't market that in a in like you know, you're not gonna see Xbox come out at the game awards and then again at E3 next year and just be like you can fucking stream Xbox games directly to your Samsung TV, baby. Here's a sizzle reel all about it. But there is something really exciting about like, hey, here's a new piece of hardware you can buy. You can pre-order it. You can go to the store and buy it physically. You can excitedly drive home with it and can't wait to plug it in and give it a go. And that that's a, those are just the, the difference between those two 
ways of interfacing despite the fact that they are very similar in that they're just basically glorified apps that you interface with a, a subscription service that you just stream to your TV, you know? Despite that that stark similarity, there's also a stark or despite that strong similarity, there's also a stark difference, which is that one of them is an alluring, attractive new product you can sell, and one of them is a feature they have to try and educate. You know, how many people have fucking iPhones and and computers and shit where they don't know eighty percent of the features and bells and whistles on their device because there's just too much shit on it. By just putting Xbox as an app on Samsung TVs, it's a great feature. It's a great way to meet consumers where they're at. But it's ultimately just another bell and whistle of a of a device that's mostly going to go overlooked. But being able to have that that device that's like, here's the one thing you purchase. It's at a stupid, attractive price, and it has everything you need in the box. You know, probably probably comes with the little console itself, a controller, and like a one-month subscription to Game Pass, right, for 99 bucks. Mwah. If you could sell that, that's it. That's the thing, man. That's the thing. You know, you want to try out Game Pass, but you don't want to spend big bucks? Get this thing. You you want to get into Xbox, but it's not going to be your primary console. You just kind of need, you know, or you're like a budget-conscious gamer? Get the Series S. You're a lifelong Xbox gamer, and you got to have the latest and greatest, most powerful console in the world? Get the Series X. Boom. You're, span- you're, you're, you're hitting the spectrum with basically hardware. Um, and I think that's where they want to be. But in the meantime... They're gonna to have to use this TV app thing as a as a, a stopgap, if you will. Although you could see a future in which that kind of becomes the main the main interface. It's just for now, you know, this world, our concept of how we interface with gaming has to be through like purchasing some form of hardware. I think I think the the little streaming stick is gonna be the more alluring option. Our second and only other real big story of the week is also a continuation of this podcast where Phil Spencer gave some serious quotes for us to kind of dive into. Other than that, we just have wrap-up stories. So let's uh, let's dig into this last big story of the week, uh, and bear with me because there is a lot to read. Phil Spencer was giving a lot of detailed quotes, so we, we uh, I tried to I tried to trim this one up and cut it down a bit, but there really wasn't much I could cut without really compromising all that Phil Spencer had to say. So bear with me for a second. Let's just read through this, and then we'll and then we'll talk about it. From VGC, Microsoft's head of gaming, also known as the CEO of gaming. Phil Spencer has said that Xbox will struggle to continue as a global business if the company doesn't establish its foothold in mobile. While the company's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard is often framed as Xbox uh, seeking to purchase Call of Duty, Phil Spencer has reiterated previous claims that the $68.7 billion deal is primarily driven by Microsoft's mobile game ambitions. Quote, the idea of Activision is about Call of Duty on console as a construct that might get created by our console by our console competitor, he told The Verge on their Decoder podcast. While not naming Sony directly, the Xbox boss went on to reference concerns that PlayStation might, uh, that the PlayStation maker has submitted to competition regulators currently scrutinizing the transaction. Quote, I've heard that Nintendo has been sending I, sorry, I haven't heard that Nintendo's been sending in any complaints about the deal. He also noted that for the past five or six years, all of the growth in the $200 billion global gaming business has come from the mobile segment, while while consoles and PC revenue have remained relatively flat. Spencer asked about the recent comment about Microsoft to the regulator, uh, regulator about being a small player in the PC and mobile space, to which he said, I don't think anybody needs that quote from us to understand how irrelevant we are in mobile. Anybody who picks up their phones and decides to play a game would see that on their own. As PC as and PC as well are trials and tribulations over the past, past five or six years in gaming uh, on PC as 
are well kind of documented and we continue to work on that. And I love the work that we at Xbox have uh, continued to work on. Our PC studios are doing great work on PC, but it takes time. In terms of Activision and that opportunity, I keep saying over and over, and it is true, it definitely starts with a view that people want to play games on every device that they have, and it's in a funny way. The smallest screen that we play on is actually the biggest screen when you think about the install base, the the phone. That's just a place where if we don't ever gain relevancy as a gaming brand, we're not alone in just in, in seeing this over time. The business will become kind of untenable for any of us. If we're not able to find customers on phones or any screen that someone wants to play on, you're really going to get segmented to a niche part of the gaming uh, of gaming that running a global business will become very challenging. Spencer uh, wrapped up with, as a percent of overall gaming business, the console business is shrinking because overall business is growing and console stays relatively flat as business stays the same. It says the same thing with PC. And when you look at And when you look at the largest gaming companies out there, Tencent being the biggest gaming company in the world, so much of their revenue comes from mobile and they put their business successfully, uh, they, and they put their business success that they've earned through the work they've done into the market, acquiring other studios at a very fast rate. It's the first time we've seen Phil Spencer mention this This is interesting that he continues on that puts a lot of us out there, uh, who are maybe traditionally segmented to one screen and one device in a position of, okay, if you play this over 10 years, if console itself is not going to go in, or not going to grow, the PC will grow in certain years and not in others and mobile will continue to grow. How do you want to continue to run your business and stay competitive with others that are out there either acquiring talent, building, building new business models or distributing and building new franchises? It's critical that if you want to try and run an up at scale global gaming business, then you meet your customers where they want to play. And more and more, mobile is the place where people want to play. Activision Blizzard said last week that its monthly active user base totaled $368 million, uh, for the quarter ending in September 22. Candy Crush Maker King, owned by Activision, accounted for 240 million players. World of Warcraft and Diablo Studio Blizzard for $31 million, And Call of Duty Publisher Activision for $97 million. King has more than any other uh, Activision Blizzard divisions combined and generates more revenue than they do. So it was put to Spencer. Microsoft is actually buying the Candy Crush company rather than the Call of Duty company. (laughs) All right. I promise we're we're rounding out the story. We're almost there. Phil Spencer goes on. Absolutely. And in addition to the number of that's not only Candy Crush King numbers, it's Call of Duty Mobile. It's Diablo Mobile. We're the big franchises that exist on Activision's bucket and in Blizzard's bucket that there are also major players on phones. The proposed $68.7 billion acquisition of Activision Blizzard would be the game industry's biggest ever deal, comfortably surpassing the record of $12.7 billion that Take-Two paid to buy Zynga. Spencer rounds out, if you want to look at the, to- uh, the totality of what Activision Blizzard King does, where their customers come from and where their money comes from, it's the same reason that Take-Two looked at Zynga and said that we've got to build out our mobile ca- capability. I'd say Activision Blizzard King did a better job of doing that earlier, definitely better than we did, and they're now in a position where they've got a great PC franchise, great PC franchises, great console franchises, and great mobile franchises. For us, the real differentiating factor is that they add to us in their mobile capability. Microsoft recently outlined its plans to create a next-generation game store to compete with Apple and Google, aided by its acquisition of Activision Blizzard, saying that building on Activision Blizzard's existing communities of games, Xbox will seek to scale to the Xbox Store, the Xbox Store to mobile, attracting gamers to new Xbox mobile platforms. 
Shifting consumers away from Google Play Store and Apple App Store on mobile devices will, however, require a major shift in consumer behavior. Microsoft hopes that by offering well-known and popular content, gamers will be more inclined to try something new. I told you that was a long one. Yeah, so normally I never try to keep a story that long. I try to trim it down to just the essential material, but I felt like we needed proper full context for this. Because in my opinion, this is the most interesting Phil Spencer quote story surrounding this Activision Blizzard deal yet. It's not the juiciest, right? It's not the fun console war shit between Xbox and PlayStation, but I think this is critical because this story actually brings us back to early 2020 when we were anticipating the release of the new Xbox consoles. And we were in this, if you can remember, if you were listening to Xbox on back in the day, we were kind of in this space in between spaces where it's like, hey, a new generation is on the horizon, usually with each new console generation, kind of comes a repositioning of how we view the games industry and the market, right? And with Xbox, it seemed like everything, you know, with the this is the generation to end generations. That was kind of the, the things Phil was saying leading up to the Series X and S releasing. And it, Xbox's whole thing was about how, like, listen, we're not saying we're not going to put out new Xboxes. But what we are saying is we're not going to say Xbox 360, fuck everything else. Ten years later, Xbox One, nothing else, fuck everything else. Seven years later, Xbox Series X, Series X, fuck everything else. Ten years later, you know, we're not doing that game anymore. Now it is. Here's the latest Xbox. It's a new console. It plays Xbox games. Here's our service that's available here, here, and here. We're just trying to meet players wherever they are, whether that's mobile, PC, or console. We just want to be in places and grow our brand. And, you know, in a couple of years when the Series X and S start to be pretty dated, we'll put out a new Xbox. Maybe it'll be called Xbox Series Z or something like that. Who fucking knows? But the point is, that's not going to be the, the, the line in the sand that says, we're, we're past the Xbox Series X, now we're on to the Xbox Series Z. No, that is just the new Xbox that plays new games better and better and better. And, you know, it's just like like iPhone. Right? We used to always make this point of comparison, right? Just like iPhone. iPhone, you know, iPhone 14 doesn't come out and completely render iPhone 13 useless. It's no. iPhone 14 comes out and iPhone 13 continues to be a great iPhone to use for many years to come. But maybe after five or seven years of that iPhone, it's like, okay, you really, you can stay on this iPhone if you want, but you really shouldn't. It's time to move on. And there does become a cutoff point, but it's more of a natural progression of people just kind of move from one platform to the other rather than our traditional hard generation line of everyone's on this platform, platform ends. Now everyone onto this platform, platform ends. Now everyone onto this platform. That's what they were talking about. And I think that kind of context and that frame of mind is what is important to keep in mind when examining Xbox's future through, you know, this story, what we're getting to now, which is that in everything I'm about to say is under the guise that Phil Spencer is just being 100% honest, candid on the money here, right? Which is that they Xbox used to say a, a couple of years ago, our big competitors, we don't view our big competitors as, as Sony and, and Nintendo. We view it as like Amazon and Google and these guys because the thing is, who has the biggest install base for gamers? It's the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, Steam on PC. Like these are the biggest places where people are playing games and spending money on games and and being drawn to gaming platforms. Yeah, when it comes to the console space, Xbox gets clobbered by PlayStation, but PlayStation is just one place where people play. And I understand that if your model is about streaming and being on all devices and meeting players all over the world wherever they are, then you need to move outside of consoles because consoles are kind of quaint in comparison in terms of install base compared to the other markets. And 
you know, as much as I hate to admit this, there's a lot of truth to it. I think myself, as well as a lot of people who may be listening, you know, we have a hard time thinking about the games industry outside of the conventional console gaming space because, you know, for the longest time, console gaming is really all there was. And there's no doubt that still to this day, the, the most premium and, and awesome games are the console gaming experiences. But when, we, when you're just talking about money to be made and player base out there experiencing gaming, it's 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 mobile it's pc that's like that's where the biggest shit is the the number of people playing genshin impact and call of duty mobile on their iphones and android phones so drastically dwarfs the number of people playing fucking call of duty on xbox and playstation it's just it's 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 gross but it's how it works you know people playing league of legends on their phone they're playing all these games on their phone and that's that's where the money is. People are playing money, playing games left and right. Freaking, you got you got mommies and daddies going to the the car shop to get oil changes, and they sit there while they wait for the car to be done and play fucking Candy Crush Saga and Doom Scroll Facebook. Like that's that's where the world is today. And so yeah, like to all of us, we might have a hard time conceptualizing this this future because to us, it's like why the fuck would you want to play Candy Crush when you could go home and play the new God of War? It's like I get it, but technically by definition both candy crush and god of war are video games you know even though they cater to very different audiences and they're very interesting in very different ways that you know they're both video games and so as a business trying to grow and capture an audience you'd be stupid you know to not try and go after both markets when you know even though xbox is known as the halo guys the console guys the xbox guys would, wouldn't you rather be all of that plus the Candy Crush guys? Because those guys make fuck you money and have insane install base grabbed by the balls. And whoever controls the market, you know, that's that's the winner. That's the leader. That's the moneymaker, you know? So that's, that's what it's all about. Now, this whole idea of Microsoft trying to launch their own store ecosystem mobile platform that one i really don't understand how they plan to ever do that because it does seem like you know this is the second time we've seen them kind of allude to this recently and it does seem like they're quite serious about it but like what so what is the workaround i said this when we talked about it recently and i'll say it again you know as an android user i know that you can you can put a third-party app store on an android device it's possible when you buy a samsung device samsung preloads it with with their app store you have the google play store which has to be on there it's it's a rule from google you cannot sell an android device that doesn't have the google play store on it but they also add the samsung uh, app store on there as well i'm sure no one uses it i've browsed it before it looks nicer it's prettier because google looks ugly um but um no one uses the the samsung app store and so Sure, Microsoft can try their hand at it. You know, once they have Call of Duty Mobile and and Candy Crush and X Cloud and all this shit under one umbrella, sure they can put an Xbox App Store, Xbox ecosystem app, whatever marketplace on your Android device. But you can't do that on iPhone. Apple does not allow that. Apple's way too locked down. Apple does, you know, Apple wouldn't even let them put a fucking Game Pass app on on iPhone. That's why they had to do the whole web browser. Uh, streaming solution. So I don't understand how they're so heart set on going down this rabbit hole if, you know, the big player of Apple is not going to let them play this game. So that's a whole thing I get hung up on. I don't quite understand what their what their vision and what their goal is for that. Um, again, I mean, you know, Android is the bigger mobile market. When you look globally, they, they have something like 70%, 70 plus percent of the mobile market. So I guess it's still worth it to do it, even if you can only do this on Android. But, 
you know, you look at these big markets, China is a huge, China's probably like the biggest, you know, China and India are like the biggest markets you want to capture when it comes to the mobile game market. And, um, I mean, you know, China, China has a massively growing middle-class population and that population is very, very interested in Apple's iPhone. So, you know, it's not to say Android isn't huge in China, but iPhone is very popular in China right now. I, you would think, you know, if that's the market you're trying to capture with, with mobile gaming, you'd want to be, you'd want to have your, your marketplace on, on, on iPhone. So that's the part that I really just don't understand what they're, how they're going to go for it. And the thing is, I, I cannot, diff, I can't separate the, the part of this story and this game plan that sounds like Xbox's vision for gaming I can't I can't compartmentalize that from the part of the story that sounds like Microsoft trying again to shoehorn themselves into an industry where they already missed the boat and are probably going to fail at it. And I think that's that's why I, I hear the story. It's like I kind of get excited because I'm like, yeah, I, I do want to see that future where I can like open up my Android phone and like, oh, there's the Xbox app store. You know, it's like it's like the Google Play Store, but I, it's not Google. It's Xbox. It's just even better. And I can go on there. And it's like a game dashboard and it makes my phone look like an Xbox device. All of a sudden it's like, OK, I'm, I'm kind of on board for this. I want to see this. But at the same time, I'm just reminded that this is Microsoft we're talking about. You know, they, they tried to jump in the smartphone game too late and lost. They tried to jump in the music streaming platform too late and lost. They tried to jump into the game streaming uh, video service like Twitch too late, lost that. And, you know, they just lose after lose, had to lose with these things. And so it's like, I don't know, you know, just because you have Candy Crush, just because you have Call of Duty Mobile, I don't, I don't know that you can use that plus the power of Xbox to try and build an app ecosystem, pull people away from Google play, pull people away from the Apple app store. I don't believe you can do it. <laughs> and that's, that's the part where it's like, I want to see you do it. I want to be wrong, but I don't believe you can do it because I've seen Xbox and I've seen Microsoft parent company of Xbox far too often be like, you know, we're going to try to shoehorn our way into this market where we miss the boat on it. And then guess what? They missed the boat on it. So they fail in their venture of trying to get in that market. Now, to be fair, that is not the mistake that Microsoft really makes these days. It's really more of like a early 2010s kind of Microsoft. So lots have, have changed since then. But I just still can't help but feel like this kind of has that energy, that atmosphere written all over it. And I just uh, I'm, I'm not confident that this is going to go in their favor. And then just to kind of round this out, I, I will say. It convinces me a little bit that, you know, there's there's the the way of interpreting the story that's been, you know, making the rounds where it's like, well, maybe Xbox wants to talk a lot about King and in mobile gaming to kind of shift the public focus and the and the uh, news, the news cycle focus away from Activision and Call of Duty and PlayStation and to shift it more towards mobile. So it makes them look less competitive and less less threatening which would give them a better light, make this EA or this, uh, sorry, EA, this is European um, regulatory stuff go, go a lot faster and smoother. And for a second there, I was like, yeah, maybe that is what's going on is they're trying to talk more about mobile because they're trying to distract from Call of Duty and just get this deal done with. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know, maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but I think, I think Phil might be right that this is, this has always been about mobile. And that is the main get here is, is the mobile effort. But then the question is, well, then, how come for the past year, every time this deal comes up, it's always been about Call of Duty and not about mobile? You've mentioned mobile 
you know, about this deal, but it hasn't been at the forefront. It's been Call of Duty. It's been Activision, first and foremost. You've talked about how you'd be interested in reviving Skylanders and Call uh, Tony Hawk and uh, and Guitar Hero. You know, you guys talked about, or, or I guess Bobby Kotick said that. And, you know, Phil keeps talking about Call of Duty. Is it is it because that's what the people keep asking about, or is it because that's what originally what you guys were excited about? And have you just changed now to be focused on mobile to try and change your optics in front of these regulatory boards to help make your case and win this uh this this the scrutiny that you're under so i don't know there's a lot of different ways to read it just because of how thorough um phil spencer was here i'm inclined to believe him but um man i just i don't know man it's just i i i i I worry i don't know i don't want to say worry is worry is not the right word i am i am skeptical of microsoft's ability once they acquire, let's assume everything goes smoothly, they acquire Activision Blizzard King. I am skeptical of their ability to harness King and the work Activision has done in the mobile space and use that as a proper jumping off point to make Xbox and Game Pass and all their mobile efforts a more valid and legitimate and accepted place and platform and way to engage with gaming in mobile spaces. I'm very skeptical that they will be able to successfully use one to support the other, although I don't have a better idea, and I don't think they're dumb for thinking that this is a really good way to connect yourself in there. And, dude, I'll I'll end with this part. Phil Spencer mentions Tencent, dude. I mean, of course Xbox is paying attention to Tencent. Of course they talk about this. Of course they know about this, but... This is the first time he's mentioning it. He's talking about it. These guys make the mo- these guys are making all the real money. It's, it's, it's Tencent, dude, and they're taking that money and they're going around. They're buying up all the talent in the industry. And yeah, it's it's kind of him saying like the part that I've come around to on this Activision deal, which is like, yeah, let's let's do it. I'd rather Microsoft consolidate the fuck out of the industry and own all the big players than to see Tencent do it. And this is basically his way of saying like, we need to get a very serious player in the space to help kind of speed us up. And get us the experience and the in the in the wisdom and the the right people at hand to help us get competitive and serious in this space. Otherwise, we're just going to continue to see giants like Tencent eat it all up while we continue to become more and more irrelevant in our plateauing uh, console space, where it's just you know it's 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 like Microsoft. It's like Microsoft and versus Sony in the console space. It's like two ants fighting, and then the giant you got fucking like Godzilla. It, like fighting in, the, in, in like these kaiju in the fucking background fighting over the real market, which is the mobile and PC space. And that's where you got like your 10 cents and stuff. And so it's, it's big picture shit. It's definitely, it's definitely a different focus from where we see Nintendo and Sony right now. And um, it's just crazy. This is, I feel like we're really at the beginning of watching the industry be forever changed and watching gaming shift into something that, for some might not be what we want to see, but is no doubt where gaming is heading. And, you know, we started off the show talking about Xbox Live 20 years ago, how that changed gaming. And now we talk about Game Pass and game streaming and where that's taking gaming. And I think this is a, a huge part of it is how that plays into the mobile space and trying to capture a larger audience as console continues to do incredibly well but just be such a small part of the conversation relative to mobile. So that's it for all the big news stories, guys. We do have a couple of wrap-ups real quick. So, like, for example, Xbox Wire um, listed out the rest of the Game Pass games coming and leaving for the month of, Oct- of November. It's November, not October. 
Um, so real quick, let's round out those. We already talked about Pentiment and Somerville. Those are both, both out now through Game Pass on Xbox and PC. Uh, but coming soon, starting on November 17th, the day this podcast goes live, the following games will also be on Game Pass, but this is just Game Pass for PC. Dune Spice Wars, Ghost Lore, and La- Lapin. Lapin. Day one Game Pass on that one. Uh, Norco will also be coming to Game Pass on that day, but that will also be available on console, not just um, PC. Or that one's not on PC. That was just console and cloud. Uh, on November 29th, Insurgency Stand- Sandstorm comes to cloud and console. I've always wanted to try this game, so I'm actually really looking forward to this. But unfortunately, uh, it's such bad timing. We're so close to like seven other games I need to play. But I will I will give that one a go at some point. Insurgency Sandstorm, November 29th. Also November 29th, Soccer Story is coming day one Game Pass. Uh, is that from the guys who make Sports Story or Golf Story on Nintendo Switch? If so, I definitely want to play that. I loved Golf Story. Uh, and then lastly, Warhammer 40K Dark Tide comes to PC. Game Pass Day 1 on November 30th. It will come to console a few months later, probably early 2023. So keep that in mind if you're looking forward to some really sick new games. November still got a lot of good shit coming. And then December, ooh, Callisto Protocol is looking so good, baby. Um, also, the other thing I want to say is a uh, wrap-up story is the NPD reported their best-selling the best-selling games in the U.S. for the month of October. That data is now out. And to no one's surprise, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 topped the U.S. software sales for the month of October, while PlayStation 5 led the month in hardware sales. According to the NPD group, Activision Shooter is already the best-selling game of 2022, behind El- or second best-selling game of 2022, behind Elden Ring, which is, and the third best-selling game is from software, uh, sorry, fuck, and the third best-selling game of the past 12 months is Call of Duty Vanguard. So, top three games. We got Elden Ring, Modern Warfare 2, and Call of Duty Vanguard. Insane. It's possible Modern Warfare 2 surpasses Elden Ring by the end of the year, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, that's based on just two days of sales in the MPD, though. So, already the second best-selling game, game of the year with just two days on the fucking market. It's insane. Modern Warfare 2 is the fastest-selling entry in a long-running Call of Duty series. According to publisher Activision, will reportedly... Uh, overtake the life the lifetime sales of last year's entry Call of Duty Van- Vanguard this week in Europe alone. That's insane. Batman Gotham Knights debuted at number two for the month chart with its 14th best selling game year to date. Other new entries notable are NHL's NHL 23 at the number five spot, Mario Plus Rabbids Spark of Hope at the number six spot, Bayonetta 3 at number nine, and Star Ocean The Divine Force at number 14, Dragon Ball Breakers number 16, and lastly, PGA Tour 2K23 at number 17. The top best-selling games in the in North America for the month of October are from 1 to 20 as follows. One, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, two, Gotham Knights, three, FIFA 23, four, Madden 23, five, NHL 23, Six, Mario plus Rabbids Spark of Hope. Seven, Persona 5. Eight, NBA 2K23. Uh, nine, Bayonetta 3. And ten, Elden Ring. Uh, rounding out 11 through 20 is uh, Elden is, uh, Mario Kart 8, Splatoon 3, Minecraft, Star Ocean, Divine Force, Grounded. Good to see Grounded up there. That's really impressive. Dragon Ball The Breakers, PGA Tour 2K23, a different version, I guess. Uh, Nintendo Switch Sports, Near Automata, and Smash Bros. Ultimate. The fact that Smash Bros. And, and Mario Kart are on there is insane. The fact that Mario Kart is above Splatoon 3 makes no fucking sense. I guess it's because of that DLC. But Microsoft, as far as first party goes, gets two spots. They get uh, Minecraft at 11, which is great. And they get... Um, and they get grounded at number fifteen, which is which is really good. I mean, I, I think that's it's, it moved up from number fifty four to number fifteen uh, in the month of October. So it's really good to see 
that game in its final form really garnering a lot of attention and selling quite well. This is really exciting stuff. Obsidian proving once again, I think Obsidian is proving to be the uh, the powerhouse of Xbox first party. They, In my opinion, no doubt, Obsidian is the Xbox first party team that I think is going to prove to be the, uh, the best bang for your buck. Just putting out consistently great games at a consistent clip, really unique shit. You know, Pentiment and Grounded this year. We got Avowed 2 and Outer Worlds 2 on the way. I, I, Dude, these are the guys, I'm telling you. All right. That's going to do it for all of our big stories, guys. Let's really quick round out this week with important enough news, stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions. Of course, we got a couple to go through, and we'll just fly through them real fast. First one is the confirmation that DICE is bringing Battlefield 2042 to Xbox Game Pass Ultimate through EA Play in the near future. The game will come to EA Play subscribers with the launch of Season 3, um, which is uh, the date's not not been confirmed yet. But Season 2 started in late August, so we're probably looking at an early 2023 release for that. Next up, Microsoft has announced Xbox's November update, which is rolling out now. Headlines for the new update are Discord features that allow players to join voice channels directly from their Xbox consoles. After that, Microsoft has announced that Xbox Game Pass Ultimate members can now claim three free months of Apple TV Plus and Apple Music. If you if you don't currently subscribe to either of these services, you have until the end of March 2023 to activate and claim the free trials. Not available in Russia. Uh, next up, VGC reports Microsoft Flight Simulator's 40th anniversary update is now out, bringing helicopters, gliders, and other new aircraft. The free update also includes several historical aircraft, including the Wright Flyer, Spirit of St. Louis, and the Hughes H-4 Hercules Spruce Goose. I've heard about a couple of these planes recently because I'm reading a book about airplanes. Uh, but yeah. Next up, Microsoft has revealed that it is proactively suspended 4.78 million Xbox user accounts during the first six months of the year. This data was included in the company's inaugural uh, inaugural Xbox transparency report, which was published on Monday to highlight steps and platforms uh, holder to take and moderate content to create a safer environment for players. Uh, self-regulating Microsoft does a lot of this stuff to look good, uh, but this is a cool thing. I, I'm actually glad they're doing this. According to the report, Microsoft took a total of 7.126 million enforcement actions between January and June of this year. Uh, the suspensions accounted for only 63% of all enforcements incidents of content removal accounted for 3%. And account suspensions and content removal were 34%. In terms of enforcement by policy era, Microsoft said cheating inauthentic accounts were responsible for 4.3 million enforcements ahead of adult sexual content for 199,000 and fraud for 87,000 accounts. Um, harassment or bullying accounted for 54,000 accounts. Uh, accounts. Profanity for 46, 50, fishing for 26,000, and other for 23,000, a category in which includes smaller volume areas such as piracy, accounting tampering, real-world concerns, drug, vulgar content, hate speech, spam advertising, and solicitation. Um, I don't know. I want to pay attention to this report going forward. I think it's really cool that they are disclosing that kind of data, so I actually do want to continue looking at that. So now you get a better idea of how many people Xbox is uh, banning when N-bombs in Modern Warfare 2 lobbies, so that's that's good to know. All right, that's it for all of our news this week, you guys. We only got a couple comments. We got three comments, but I figure we'll take it slow as we uh, round out the show for the week and uh, end with your comments, questions, questions. All that shit, you know how it goes. You go over to youtube.com slash C slash Xbox on podcasts. You click on the podcast, click on the latest episode, and you drop a comment. You can say something nice like Jesse, fuck you. Or you can say something mean like Jesse, fuck you. 
And either way, we'll read your comment on the podcast because we're just happy to have you here. And so our first comment this week comes from Compassion Choice LLC who says, Hey, Jesse, good job on the podcast last week being on the RDX show, finally going places. I listened to it and it was cool. Maybe too many people on the show, I thought, but good job. I have COVID and I will be playing games this week. Well, Compassion Choice, sorry to hear that you have COVID. I hope you feel much better now. I already knew you had COVID because you dropped by the stream this past Monday, twitch.tv slash Extreme. And you chatted up with us while you were sick as a dog. Uh, we were playing Call of Duty, and uh, you were just being a nice guy, nice company to hang out with. So I hope by the time you're hearing this, you're feeling much, much better. Um, but thank you for writing in. I appreciate the kind of wishes. Thank you to all you guys who gave me a shout-out or congratulations for being on RDX Podcast last week. Uh, remember, for those who haven't heard already, I was on the RDX Podcast. You can go to their YouTube channel or their podcast on podcast services and listen to the last week's episode, which I was on, or listen to this week's episode. I'm sure it was good as well. Uh, but yeah, shout out to those guys. Appreciate them for having me on the show. Um, to be quite honest, I, 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 like I've said on the show before, I don't listen to other Xbox podcasts, so I wasn't terribly familiar with uh, with what I was getting myself into. But it was a lot of fun to be able to be on that show, and uh, I had a good time. So thank you guys. Next up, let's talk about developer stuff. Burn Feeling writes in again. Welcome back, Burn Feeling. It says, hey, Jesse, what's up? I was thinking about Xbox Studios partnering with IDOS Montreal and Crystal Dynamics. Is it a sneaky way for Xbox to poach talented devs from these studios and then hire them to work at Playground or The Initiative instead of just paying a premium to acquire the whole studio? Then wouldn't, it be, wouldn't there be some incentive, uh, somewhat of an incentive for Embracer to keep ta- uh, taking Microsoft Keep taking Microsoft bag and keeping partnerships going. You mitigate the cost of running those studios and making some return on investment. You keep all the devs. Xbox has great studios to work with, and we get Xbox and Xbox gamers have big and shiny triple A's. Yeah, so I mean, there, there's this is a very multifaceted situation. I think it is quite interesting how, yeah, for Microsoft, it's like you get the benefit of having these developers aid you in development of, of your perfect dark game or your fable game, but you don't have to acquire the team, so you don't have to, you know, pay all the you don't you don't have to pay all these people like their benefits and build a new team for them to work on. You know, they already are owned by a different company that pays these guys their salaries and and pays all all the crap to keep this team up and running, and so you're just paying the uh, the publisher that owns them a shit ton of money so that you can borrow their talent for this contracted length of time. So it, it is one of those things where they can kind of, you know, have this mutually beneficial agreement where it's like, hey, this developer is kind of in between projects. We can kind of use them for a little bit. It'll help us over on Xbox. It'll help Embracer because it gives them some guaranteed money from a team like Xbox as they work on this project that they don't have to worry about the sunken cost of because let's say one of these games bombs. It's like, okay, well, Embracer doesn't have to worry because they already got paid for sharing their developers and uh, it was a learning experience for their teams going forward. So it's kind of a win-win. It's a safe win for Embracer, but for Xbox, they get the support they need without having to invest in purchasing a team and all the stuff that comes with that just in order to use the talent. So it is mutually beneficial. Um, But I think that is an interesting point about the poaching talent. Now, no doubt that is going to be a thing that happens as these kinds of deals happen more and more just because, you know, yeah, sure, if you're at IDOS Montreal and then you get to go work with Playground Games for a while, maybe you will be like, oh, I really loved working with these guys. I love their their philosophy, their culture at at work. And, uh, you know, I I made some good friends and contacts over there and I'm going to apply for a job, you know, once, once they have an opening and maybe switch from this team to this team. And, yeah, I'm sure that absolutely does happen. But we also know a lot of these teams that are working together have previous history, especially in the case of Crystal Dynamics and the Initiative, where a lot of the Initiative's core team is 
ex Chris Dynamics people anyway. So I'm sure a lot of poaching and back and forth between these devs was already happening regardless. But yeah, I mean, you, you definitely run that risk for sure, without a doubt. But I think at the end of the day, if you're Embracer, this is a, this is a great deal because you already have a million other teams you're responsible for making risky projects that may or may not succeed. But this is a little bit more of a, uh, a surefire thing because you rent out your talent that you already own to Xbox. Xbox owes you money for the game they're making, whether or not it's good or bad. And then Xbox gets the temporary uh, staffing they need without having to invest heavily in, in a new permanent team just to get a new project out the door. So, you know, Phil, uh, not Phil Spencer, but Matt Booty was talking about this a few weeks ago. We talked about it on the show about how he thinks this is kind of the future of game development. We're going to see a lot more of this. I'm inclined to agree with it. I think it is a, a more efficient. It's, it's a more like... It's it's like the ecologically efficient version of like of game development running. It's it's just it's like a green way of game development, and it also is just beneficial for the the employees because it helps them find work in between projects rather than that age old scary situation how the game industry has traditionally been set up where it's like you can work on a game for four or five years and then as the game winds down the project comes to a finish a lot of people get laid off from the project because they have nothing to do anymore it's like hey um writers we don't need you to write this game anymore because the game's been done for a year and now we're just play testing and polishing and, and, and finishing up the game the, the writing has been done and so it kind of guarantees more opportunities for people to kind of find work within the games industry um, while they're in between projects and and things like that. I think it's just more effective and useful way uh, of, of utilizing talent. So good question. And then lastly, rounding out our comments this week, Kronky writes in with a Halo vs. Sonic comment. It says, which game, sorry, which hype was greater, Infinite's release or Sonic's release? Well, that's an interesting question. I think Halo Infinite overall, because Infinite was exciting. It was like, it felt like the return of Halo, even though I loved Halo 5, it felt like everyone was excited about Halo again, including me. And so it was like fun to be excited about Halo with everyone, especially doing Xbox on. It was really fun for me because I could feel a lot of the excitement from you guys. Um, I have a lot of fond memories of that Halo Infinite launch cycle because I, you know, I remember launching my Twitch channel and, P and everyone was like, cool, man, we're all excited for Halo. Let's, let's play, let's play Halo. Let's, 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 let's buddy up. Let's all like chill out. And it was a, it was a fun time for all of us to be starry eyed and to assume that Halo Infinite wasn't going to drop the ball post launch. And so I, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to be a revisionist historian about, about, you know, where Halo Infinite is now. Um, Halo Infinite is a great game. I, I absolutely adored the fuck out of that campaign the first time I played it. I stand by what I said then. It is a truly great game. I really do love the core of the multiplayer. I think it's unfortunate how they weren't able to properly sustain the live service aspect of the game. But if I'm talking about Halo Infinite from when we were anticipating its release to when it first came out, man, what a special time that was. What a great time. Brand new Xbox console, um, brand new Halo game. Everyone was super high on it. Everyone really loved it for a little bit there. And uh, it was it was a great it was a great time really great memories. Sonic's a little different because as is always the case with Sonic, it's something I'm super on the edge of my seat for, so excited for. But I feel alone in it, you know. It's like I don't I don't have friends that like Sonic, and I don't know many people that give a shit about Sonic. So I understand it's kind of a weird thing, and it's it's just one of those things where it's like I have to kind of be excited to myself about it. So the um, there is no like eventful kind of fun communal experience surrounding the hype of something like Sonic Frontiers. That being said. I definitely think now that both games are out, Sonic Frontiers uh, does a much better job of being what the future of Sonic needs in a complete and, and final version, you know, package uh, better than Halo Infinite does, which is a game that 
kind of is what Halo needs to be going forward, but also drops the ball in a lot of critical ways. It got all the really hard parts done, surprisingly, and really fucked up on the easier stuff. And so it's, I don't know, it's a little, you know, I got a year of Halo Infinite under my belt, and I've got a week of Sonic Frontiers under my belt. So there's a recency bias, and there's there's been time to get upset with Halo, but... Um, I don't know. I would say they're they're very 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 different. These are two of my absolute favorite franchises. Again, my favorite my favorite video games are Halo games, Sonic games, and 3D Mario games. And so you give me any of those three, I'm just gonna be I'm gonna be hyped out out, out my ass for them. I will say this: the last 3D Mario game we got was Mario Odyssey, and that game, great game. Don't get me wrong, Mario Odyssey is a really great game. That game disappointed me a little bit. I don't know what it was about it, but Mario Odyssey just doesn't do it for me the way some previous Mario games had uh, leading up to that game, which is maybe it's just me. I don't know if I'm broken, but I, I don't get me wrong. I love Mario Odyssey. Just it didn't rock my world the way I hoped it would. But um, yeah, Son- I don't know, man. Sonic Frontiers, that shit's good. Shit's real good right now. But all in all, I don't know, pro- probably Halo, but I, I'm, I'm having such a good time with Halo. Fuck you. Stop making me pick difficult things, okay? All right. Thank you. Bye. That's it for the podcast this week, guys. Let's round it out. Let's wrap it up. Guys, please. It's, it's almost the weekend at the time you're hearing this. At the time the show is going live, it's Thursday. We're almost at the weekend. Please hold your excitement in and, you know, just take it easy, man. Enjoy your games. Play some Sonic Frontiers if you're a good boy. Play some God of War Ragnarok if you're a bad boy. Um, drink some Mountain Dew, but not the not the Fruit Quake because that shit sucks. But uh, definitely get the Little Caesars Call of Duty bundle. Um, season one of of Warzone and all that shit is out now. So Warzone 2.0, I gotta I gotta try that out. I gotta see. I hated Warzone one, but maybe Warzone two will be good. I don't know. I don't know if it's anything like Blackout. Maybe it will be good. But I appreciate all you guys for being here today, listening to the podcast. Please feel free to rate the show on any of your podcast services. It would mean the world to me. Uh, if you want, subscribe on YouTube. We're trying to hit a thousand subscribers. So that's youtube.com slash C slash Xbox on podcast. Uh, yeah, drop a subscribe there. Leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you guys, interact with you. And lastly, remember this Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern time, twitch.tv slash lightning extreme. We will be doing a Halo Infinite Community Forge Day. So if you want to play some fun custom games and goof around with all of us, whoever all of us ends up being, I don't know. Come, come hang out with us. It'll be a good time, I'm sure. We'll, you know, crack open a couple of zero sugars and uh, you know, make some friends. You know, it's a good time. But until next week, guys, take care. Be well. Be safe. Hang out with your loved ones and family and friends. Play some good video games. Eat some good food. And until next week, power your dreams.